Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So basically, Brendan King, what we know is this. We know yesterday it was a rough day for at least two people. The first would be Jimmy Cook because he drove all the way up to Green Bay to Lambeau to see his beloved Kansas City Chiefs in what was actually a really good game. And I'll tell you what, like, don't look now, but without going too far into it, because this obviously is going to be epicentered around what happened yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee from a local standpoint, but is is Jordan Love before our eyes, like, kind of slowly starting to show that he might have something? As that team has gotten a little bit healthier around him, yes. And he's also benefited from, of course, a division that's in a little bit of turmoil. I mean, the Bears, I mean, that's a story in itself with Eberflus and Fields being hurt. I mean, Kirk Cousins is obviously out. And, you know, at the same time, the Lions have sort of regressed in a way the last yeah, few Yeah, but there weren't so. any other teams from the division last night on the field when he's no, playing Kansas City. No, there City, weren't. Right? There weren't. So they've, But they played well last night, as you said. And they've also benefited from having an opportunity in that division. So, Jimmy Cook will be back with us tomorrow. He is up enjoying Lambeau and Wisconsin on his way back from the game last night. The other person yesterday that that I felt bad for that had a rough day. When you look, there are a lot of guys that you can point to yesterday in the Colts-Titans game and say, it's too bad for them they had a rough day, right? But the guy that, that, (laughs) that I really felt for, Poor Ryan Tannehill, man. <laughs> like, Ryan Tannehill plays basically one play in the game. He, like, two, three, whatever it was. And and it's easy to forget this. And I'm surprised that it, maybe it wasn't the reason that the extra point was missed. But obviously, Tannehill has to come in and hold. And they did a good job on the Yesterday's television broadcast of the Colts-Titans game had one uh, major blunder and one really good thing they pointed out the blunder was when Tennessee returned the intercepted two-point conversion they flashed up on the screen touchdown (laughs) and they're like and Tennessee's taking the lead I'm like no 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 that's a it's a two-point conversion so it it's a two-point return that's a long way to go and a lot of running for two points it took Andrew Catalan I don't know if you've watched the highlight but he paused for a good 15 seconds and then he said two for Tennessee and Guarantee there's somebody in his ear well, the, saying the, two, two. The, yeah. the 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 graphics though. Yeah, as right. soon as it, I mean, they change the score. They show touchdown. Everything else, the crowd's going crazy. Obviously, it's it's a rare circumstance, but um, but they did point out, and, and I'll give them a lot of credit for it. I mean, they did point out that Ryan Tannehill, once the punter gets hurt, they're like, hey, listen, Tannehill is the backup holder, but but you know, and Matt Ryan, I think, said, look, I, I held early in my career, but it takes probably some getting used to. And I, I awakened my Ace Ventura, right? When Tannehill comes out for that extra point in what would have been the game winner, it would have won the game because the Colts did not score points after that, right? What would have been the game-winning extra point, the snap was decent, the hold was decent, but he didn't get the laces out, right? Yeah. He didn't spin the ball to get the laces directly out, and, and I have no idea if that was the – the reason for the miss, but I'm going to blame it anyway because it's just fun to say laces out, Dan, right? Uh, but Ryan Tannehill did not do it yesterday. But my name is Jake Query. 
That is the voice that you just heard of Brendan King. As we mentioned, Jimmy Cook is gone. Uh, Kylan Talley is filling in for Eddie Garrison today, admirably so. Uh, for, if you don't know Kylan, you might have seen her on the big screen because she's an actress, right? I am. Well, that'd be the yeah, the big screen, right? Are you on the small screen too, or just the big screen? I would say a little bit of both, some independent films, and then some other ones. I had one of my films; they screened it at the Indiana State Museum on the big, big screen. Now, which one was that? It was part of the 48-hour film challenge here in Indianapolis, and with just how the competition worked out, we got to screen all of ours there. Now, why does everybody quality. say films? They haven't shot on film since, like, Gone with the Wind. I Ray, know. Right? I know. Is it? Uh, is I mean, that? Yeah. Is that the fancy way of just It's better than saying, saying I'm in a digital. Yeah. I Actually, a digital well, coming did you know she had to hang out with the knuckleheads in the morning, too, and now it's to I know you're us. double dipping today, right? I am. <laughs> I have extra caffeine. Do you need any? <laughs> I'm doing good right now. Keep is up your caffeine Ace Ventura and diet What? It, yes. Eddie Garrison didn't think there was caffeine in tea, and you don't know if there's caffeine in Diet Mountain Dew? Well, of course there's caffeine in tea. Eddie didn't know that. You didn't know that there's caffeine in Diet Mountain Dew? Well, there's the big diet above Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah sugar doesn't have caffeine. Caffeine <laughs> is additional from the sugar. Okay, right? well, hey, I'm yes. just checking on you. Yes, there is caffeine in Diet Mountain Dew. There's caffeine in, in if it's caffeine-free in a soft drink, it's then it's labeled as caffeine-free. Yeah, I there didn't know if it was is, on there. I've never there, drank a Diet Mountain actually, Dew, to be honest with you. Have you ever had regular Mountain Dew? Rarely. What, what's your soft drink of choice? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, if I had to pick one, it's a root beer. Okay. That's caffeine-free, by the way. I know. Usually. I do know that. Um, yeah. So yesterday, Colts and Titans down in Nashville. Colts get a win. They maintain. They hold serve, if you will. It's a big win, obviously, because of the fact that you know they the playoff race it's obviously a divisional team even though Tennessee is not Jacksonville or Houston at this point but what you want to do is maintain within that slot in the wild card and they're right there at 7 and 5 along with Houston, Pittsburgh um and Cleveland with Cleveland you already have that first head-to-head tiebreaker gone because they decided to go for it uh, at the end of the half, and Gardner Minshew got sacked by Miles Garrett for the 17th time, and that cost them that game. But, Brennan, the thing for the Colts that they have the advantage is the fact that all of those in the wild card contention along with them, side by side, are teams that they still have the ability to control their own destiny over. Talking about Houston and Pittsburgh, notably, the two that are around them. So, you hold serve, and you move forward, and you move on to the next. Was it a game that... A year from now, we'll talk about maybe because there were some things in it unusual as we talked about the missed extra point. The, you know, I don't even know the blocked punt. Which one? Well, the one for the touchdown was yeah. not scored as a blocked punt. Right. It was scored as a fumble because yeah. he never really got the kickoff. But kudos right here to a couple of key aspects of that game that have been much maligned. Okay. You got to give a lot of credit. First off, do you remember a couple of weeks ago? I think, was it the Rams game? I can't remember which game it was when Tony Brown was absolutely toast. Might have been a Cleveland game. I think we were watching that together. I mean, it was insane, right? And, you know, you're like, why is this guy in that? Well, he was in a situation where, and I will credit where it's due 
Tony Brown is a guy that was that was probably brought in as much as anything for as a special teams guy, and then he was put in a position where all of a sudden he's got to play regular snaps at the corner position, and obviously he was pretty exposed from that. But yesterday it was interesting because on on one of the blocks, I mean, the block punts like he 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 was completely unguarded. I mean, like and I'll, credit to him for you know his quickness to be able to make a play. But he was a guy that 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 was that a lot of people kicked on and give him credit. When it came down to it, he obviously made a big play for him. He did, and as you said, we watched that Cleveland game together, and well, it was PJ Walker that was toasting him in that game as well. I mean, Deshaun Watson was hurt, and PJ Walker came in. So yeah, I mean, retribution for him, no doubt. But at the same time, Jake, I don't think we're going to be talking about this game a year from now either, as you pointed out, but. I do think it's a big deal, and I tweeted this yesterday, that it's a massive storyline to me that this team swept Tennessee in a spot where you do not have your rookie quarterback, you're playing a backup, your star defensive tackle, or at least one of them is still suspended, not anymore as of today, Grover Stewart's back, but you swept Tennessee after not beating them since 2020. To me, that's a big deal. It shows you that at least the division is back on the side of Indianapolis. Now, Jacksonville, pretty good team. Houston, love what C.J. Stroud has done. Tank Dell's hurt, though, so we'll see how that impacts them the rest of the year because it's really it's now it's Nico Collins and a bunch of guys in that wide receiver room. But at least sweeping Tennessee, it puts you back in position because that was the hurdle that you couldn't climb, man, over the last few years. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, and certainly, I think we have said Tennessee is a team going in the opposite direction than the other three in the division. No right? doubt. I, Houston is the one, clearly, Brendan, that we didn't think – would be hanging around the way they have. And to your point, you know, C.J. Stroud is, a, is obviously a very, very big part of that, right? Um, but I just thought that they got, you know, they were able to get to Will Levis. I thought Will Levis played better than I would have anticipated. Me too. Um, he does look like a guy. This is a division that Anthony Richardson, I think we know or hope, is going to be a good player. C.J. Stroud is clearly a good player. Trevor Lawrence is clearly a good player. And it's a tough thing for Will Levis because even a good Will Levis is probably relegated to being the fourth quarterback in that division. But I do think that we saw flashes where you say, okay, he like in that final drive for Tennessee, um, you know, in the overtime for them, their, their last drive of the game, they went down, they, they got three, but I, I did think that he looked pretty composed for a rookie quarterback in that situation. And But the Colts, we have waited for a long time, Brendan, to be able to say this. We've waited a long time to be able to say that the, that, that the Colts now, it's not a total anomaly when you have games where they are able to get pressure on the defensive quarterback. And it's been a long time since we've been able to say that, and... Chris Ballard's caught a lot of heat, somewhat understandably, somewhat rationally, for the amount of resource and patience that they have put into their defensive pass rush and their their frontline guys. But give him credit because Samson Ubicom, Ebicom, excuse me, was a good pickup. He had two sacks again yesterday. He was aggressive. And Quiddy Pay starting yeah. to, to show some life here, right? I thought he was the most noticeable I've seen him this season. But as you said, in response of Stewart getting suspended, 
the fact that you have a four-game win streak, Jake, in the middle of that suspension, now you get the guy back? I, I didn't have that on my bingo card, did you? Yeah, no. Well, except for this. I do think that in that four-game streak, they still – it feels a little bit like – and I hate saying this because it's a victory Monday. It's gorgeous outside. It's pretty. We are – Three weeks from Christmas. I mean, I don't want to be Ebenezer Scrooge in any way, shape, or form. By the way, a Christmas Carol at IRT was fabulous. Went like a week and a half ago. Everybody should go see it. But I don't want to be Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a four-game win streak, and you take a four-game win streak every which way that you can get it, and eight and, and twice on Sunday. But to an extent, some of the areas that there are two ways to look at it, Brendan. One is to say they've won four in a row and they have put themselves in position now where they are solid in that wild card chase. And that's what I'm sticking with. But the older me, and by the older me, I mean like the actually the younger me, but but would have gone back years ago and said, but they beat four of the worst teams in the league and they did so while masking some deficiencies that are later going to hurt them. The the area of pause I would have would be this. Ultimately, when teams lose in the playoffs and their season comes to an end, and I do think that – so we're going to assume the Colts get to the playoffs. We're going to assume the Colts get to the playoffs but don't win the Super Bowl, okay? I think people here could be accepting of that. <laughs> I think that's a – Huge success. So if they get to the playoffs but don't win the Super Bowl, that means that at some point in the playoffs they lose, right? Yeah. So in the game in which the Colts' season comes to an end, the thing that I have always said, it might be the only smart thing in my life I have ever said, okay? You got to give yourself more credit than that. Well, I mean, I'm, but I'm smart. I'm smart about myself. I'm smart about my own naivety. Um, when teams lose, Brendan, more often than not, the game that eliminates them is a microcosm of the deficiencies that they had overcome over the course of the year. Mm. And in this four-game win streak, part of that is aided by the schedule, if you're being realistic. They have beaten four teams, probably two of the worst in the league, and then two that are definitely struggling in Tampa and Tennessee. But good teams win the games they're supposed to win, and the Colts have done that. And good teams win games by overcoming things that prohibit them from being a great team. And the Colts are doing that. Stopping the run is still an area that has been of weakness for them, and it was again yesterday. Yes. If Derrick Henry is in that game at the end of the game, it's probably a different ball game. But he wasn't. He wasn't. So you take it. But there are areas for concern and to your point about Grover Stewart, that is one that you feel better about because he's coming back. So that helps in terms of your rush attack. They also are overcoming still, even though he's hard not to like. And, you know, he threw for. Here's an interesting statistic. Do you know what Gardner Minshew did yesterday for the first time in his career? Hit me. He did? I didn't see it. What, yeah, did you I say t- something to a, him? Took a tough one. Uh, Gardner I, I, I Minshew. Big bruise today. Gardner Minshew threw for 300 yards in a winning effort. Wow. That's the first time in the career of Gardner Minshew that he has thrown for 300 yards in a game in which his team won. 
I thought he was good yesterday. He obviously had a couple of plays that you'd like to have back. He overthrew some throws. But when it came down to it, and I actually, Brendan, and I apologize because I can't remember if it was you or Jimmy that made this point. But I heard it in my head yesterday. I just couldn't remember which voice I was hearing it. A point was made, and if it was you, you can own it right here. If not, I'm asking you to defer and admit that it was Jimmy. Sure. But one of the two of you, when we were talking within the last few weeks about Alec Pierce, and I was saying that I still want to see more from Alec Pierce and that while I'm not writing him off, I feel like he's got to elevate at the receiver standpoint so that they can know exactly how much to give to Pittman and how much assistance he can get around him. One of the two of you made the point, Jake, what you're ruling out about Alec Pierce is that he is a behind-the-defense deep ball receiver. And without Anthony Richardson in the lineup, they don't have the quarterback to utilize his skill set and take advantage of it. And once Anthony Richardson, who has a much stronger arm, comes back, then we will get a full glimpse as to, in fact, what Alec Pierce brings to the table and assessing or evaluating him in the current regime or the current schematic write-up that they have is not fair to him because they don't have the players to benefit his strong, his strong suit. I'm a humble guy, Jake. That That is all Mr. Cook. Okay. He was dead on with that assessment, and we saw it yesterday. Because why is Alec Pierce on the field for the vast majority of the game, you ask yourself? Well, it comes down to, and yes, he had 100 yards receiving yesterday, first time in nine years that the Colts have had two guys with 100 yards receiving in the same game. The other pairing, by the way, Kobe Fleener and Dante Moncrief. So it doesn't necessarily equate to long-term sustained success within the franchise. But <laughs> but yesterday, when it came down to it, you know, Alec Pierce was on the field because eventually when you dial him up, that's what you need him to do. And he made the play that swung that game, obviously, and won it for the Colts and put them in position to win it. It's kind of funny to think about, too, because his big play last year was that deep ball down the near side for Matt Ryan in the Kansas City game. And Matt Ryan's on the call yesterday for his massive swing down the near side this time to the left. So Matt Matt Ryan has been in the building probably for his two most impactful catches as a Colt. It's kind of funny to think about. Matt Ryan also, by the way, somebody sent me a, a text yesterday during the game that said, hearing Matt Ryan talk about the importance of, of holding on to the football yeah. and possession <laughs> for the Colts is a little too ironic, right? He actually, I think he did a pretty nice job. He, yeah, he was fine. Yeah. He was fine. I was actually, uh, I did a lot of gift wrapping while I was watching the game. Not unlike Tennessee, right? Tennessee gift wrapped a few things. A few. Um, But the Colts get the win. We'll talk about that over the course of the day. Mike Chappell, of course, the dean, when talking about the Colts, going to join us at 1 o'clock today. Also, Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, joining us in about two hours. Purdue dropping one over the weekend to Northwestern. A game that – did you watch that game? I was doing Indiana Sports Talk and had it on the studio. That was nutty. I mean, it was a fabulous game. If you had no rooting interest – it was awesome. That, that's the type of game that makes college basketball fans. Because and, it, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, Purdue had some costly turnovers. Purdue Huge. Purdue has a lot to pin on themselves in that game. But part of it also, you got to give Northwestern credit. Northwestern hit some shots in that game that they hit like five times out of 100. Boo Booey might be the best thorn in the side Big Ten player in a long time. I mean, he has just killed dreams of multiple Big Ten programs. And you know what? I kind of forget, Jake, because the summer, it's a long time in between March and in October and November, obviously. It's like and, eight months, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Northwestern, they didn't do much last year. I, I forgot, Boo Booey's not the biggest guy in the world. No. He plays way larger than he actually... He is not afraid to just go at guys to the cage. Um, and it's impressive. So, great college basketball game. And, again, that's the type of game, as you said... If you have no rooting interest, it's a 9 o'clock Big Ten game after IU and Maryland was really non-competitive. Um, great ball game. And look, I, I don't have a rooting interest in it. I'm not a Purdue fan, but just a great college basketball game. And I hope that somebody watched that and was like, you know what? I'm going to watch more Big Ten basketball this year. One of the things we've got to talk about over the course of today, and I know that people want to talk primarily about the NFL and the or the the Saints. Somebody just sent me a thing. It was the Saints game also where the Colts were giving up big plays. Um, the the Colts and the Titans are going to be the main subject for sure. But can we discuss for a second? And I will warn everybody right now. I have no rooting interest in it. I don't care one iota. I actually almost went to the University of Alabama. I've been to... I gotta think. I've seen Alabama win... No, I take that back. I I, I saw Alabama in a national championship game. I saw Clemson win that game. I've been to games at Bryant-Denny several times. Did you go Um, to the one here? Did not go to the one here, actually, because I was doing the morning show and ended up not going. But... I got nothing against Alabama, and they're a fabulous program, and I think probably Alabama's going to win the national championship. Same. But Florida State got absolutely a raw deal, 100%. I don't care what anybody says. I will not buy the narrative, and I'll die on this hill. And I get it. it it's a it's a fair point if you want to go there that Florida State, well, you know, but the, the thing is they don't have their quarterback. I don't care. The season should matter. The body of work should matter. Florida State – Fact, Florida State won more games over bowl-eligible teams than anybody in college football this year. Fact, Florida State won a Power 5 conference. Fact, Florida State's undefeated. Fact, Florida State went to LSU, actually on a neutral field, beat LSU by a larger margin than did Alabama. Fact, Florida State lost their quarterback had to play with a backup quarterback and won a rivalry game against an SEC team, albeit a middle-of-the-pack one in Florida. Fact, Florida State had to win their conference championship by using a third-string quarterback who hadn't taken more than, I think, two snaps the entire season and going against a team in Louisville that has some offensive explosion and completely shut them down to win with their third quarterback on the roster. In fact, they're not going to use that quarterback in had they gone to the playoffs because their backup would have been eligible. He was simply in concussion protocol. Fact, Florida State was truthful about the injury to their quarterback. And if they just simply would have said, you know what, 
He has a high ankle sprain, and we expect him to be eligible and healthy by the time the playoffs roll around. Then Florida State's in. It is totally unfair to accuse a college football team's season of being for naught because one player is not eligible. It's way too much to put on one young person, number one. And number two, it discredits a team that when adversity was in their face, they overcame it by playing out their schedule and doing everything that was asked of them by winning every game. Alabama's outstanding. I don't dispute that. But you know what? The argument of, well, but Alabama just beat Georgia. Okay, well, according to the committee, Georgia's not one of the four best teams in the country. Right? They bounced them out. If Georgia was so great, they still would have gotten in. And secondly, Alabama has a loss, number one. The bottom line is Florida State got the raw deal when Texas won because at that point you knew if Alabama wins, what because Texas was in, you you had to take Alabama and Texas because Alabama was beaten by Texas in Alabama. Alabama, if we're going with one-game vacuums, well, Jake, Florida State shouldn't be in because they don't pass the eye test because at the end of the year, they, they, they didn't look very good against Louisville and they struggled against Florida. Okay, two weeks ago, Alabama needed a fourth-down miracle to overcome a six-win Auburn team. So let's talk about end-of-year eye test. And then they beat Georgia, who, according to the committee, is not one of the four best teams in the country. I think Alabama's excellent. I think Alabama probably now, because Nick Saban, A, is going to have a month to prepare, and B, or, you know, several weeks to prepare, and B, he's going to use this as fuel. So I understand Alabama's case. I do. But I more so understand Florida State's I just don't buy it. I don't buy the whole narrative of, yeah, but their quarterback got hurt, so they're not one of the best teams right now. I I believe personally that it should be, and I know the committee says different, fine, but I believe personally that it should come down to the body of work, and Florida State's body of work is amongst the four best in the country. They beat more bowl-eligible teams than anybody in college football. They won every game on their schedule. They won a major conference. And when they and here's the other thing. When, when Florida State got to choose who they were going to play, they went and played LSU and Florida. They didn't go and play Wofford and Coastal Carolina and UAB. They went and said, fine, we'll go play the SEC. The ACC might be down, so we'll go play the SEC, and we'll beat them handily. They blew, they blew out LSU. They were up 28 in the fourth quarter. Is LSU the creme de la creme? No, but they're a good SEC team. And Florida State should be given credit for not backing down from what they could control. Just my thoughts, but we'll get more into it later. Uh, Indiana has a new football coach. They also, of course, got a big win to start out Big Ten play. Don Fisher is the voice of both. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joins us next. Halfway through the 12 o'clock hour on this Monday, good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Quarry, Brendan King in for Jimmy Cook. Joining us now on the program, he is... The voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, Don Fisher, who joins us, and we will talk plenty about the Hoosiers of Mike Woodson and the fact that they opened up Big Ten play with an impressive win on Friday against Maryland. They're back at it Tuesday up in Ann Arbor. But, Don, before that, I've got to ask you because I think there's a lot of juice in the building and just amongst IU fans in general. Um, 
Boy, I'll tell you what. I'll give Scott Dolson a lot of credit, Don, because when I saw Kurt Signetti, not only just his record, but the energy he brings, the confidence, and the track record that he brings with him from James Madison, it seems to me like they hit a home run. Now, that doesn't translate automatically to wins, but I love the energy of him, and I love the confidence of this guy. You've been around him a little bit. Your thoughts on the new Indiana football coach? Well, I haven't been around it as much as I'd like at this point because um, I was scheduled to do an interview with him as soon as the press conference was over with, and they had to uh, re-channel the schedule for some reason, and I didn't get a chance to really sit down with him and talk to him briefly about uh, about his career and and what he means to Indiana University at this point. And um, because of that, I just basically had to take my cues from what I saw on other interviews, things like that, and, of course, the press conference itself. And what you stated is absolutely true. His confidence level is tremendous. His bravado is tremendous. Uh, I loved what he said to the student body and to the crowd at the assembly hall on Friday night. I just thought it was special. We never heard anybody talk like that in the past <laughs> at Indiana. <laughs> true. Well, we, we have, just not on the football side, right? Well, exactly. Um, so the, the point is, uh, I, I, there's nothing about the guy that I dislike at this point. <laughs> and, and that's to say that there's not always that opportunity to, to not be as happy with him as, as possible. But I can tell you this. He comes in with absolutely the right attitude to take over a program that has struggled for the last three years now. Don, and Without question, that's going to be a critical factor in regard to how things go here in the near future. And I think successful. I believe what he says. Uh, he, he thinks he can get it done here, and I'm going to give him all the credit in the world for saying it. Oh, I think there's a lot of Indiana fans that, are, that believe what he says when he says Purdue sucks and so do Ohio State and Michigan. They're like, hey, heck yeah, right? <laughs> I, I know that's not what you meant. But, you know, Don, the guy that he reminds me of, and I heard JMV mention this, and, and I agreed. John and I talked, and I agree with him. Um, Terry Hepner was so special for that job because, you know, I, I just think that so much of the Indiana job, and I'm not saying that that other coaches didn't have this, Kevin Wilson or Tom Allen or whoever it might be, but so much of that job, I think, is in the beginning in particular, is just kind of selling the belief that it can be done. And, and Terry Hepner was one that you know, gosh darn it, I mean, it was obviously tragic what happened with him, but but I always had such respect for his enthusiastic approach to to not being above the job and saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to get this thing right, gosh darn it, and and that's what this feels like to me, with even a little bit more of an edge, right? But but just that belief right out of the box, you just hope it becomes contagious throughout the entire program. Well, if Kurt Signetti turns out to be anything close to Terry Hepner. I'm going to be elated because Hapner was absolutely the guy that could turn this thing around. And there was no doubt in my mind that he would have gotten it done had he lived to, to show it. And um, obviously he was there for two years. Um, I, I became knowledgeable of him a couple of years before he became the Indiana head coach. Uh, The guys, he, he wanted to be at Indiana. It was his lifetime job to be the head coach at Indiana university. Um, and he said so at the very beginning, and he said, we're going to win. Uh, I think I, I, I remember correctly, he had a rose he put in a bowl. I remember that, yeah. Opening press conference. Um, and that, to me, told me everything I needed to know about the guy because he believed that he could get it done 
And that's exactly what I see in Signetti. He believes he can get this thing done. He doesn't just believe it. He's going to do it. That's what he said. And honestly, that tells me all I need to know about the guy because when somebody – and he's had so much success. I mean, you just look at his background. Yeah, it's not at the same level, Division One, whatever the case may be, in some of those schools that he was at. But it is certainly – the record is un- un- incredibly impressive. 130 or 119 wins and 35 losses in 13 years at three different schools. That's pretty doggone good. And I'm telling you, whoever whoever takes this job has to have that kind of belief and that kind of ability. And I think he's talked about his process and those kinds of things and how he's going to get this thing done. And I believe him when he says, I've never looked at a star. I just look at the player and see what he can do and see what we can do to develop him. And when he said develop, that told me what I needed to know because that's what Indiana has lacked here over the last many years now is a coach that has to knows he has to develop players. You're not going to get the best players all the time from coming out of high school, uh, but you're going to definitely have a chance to develop those guys. And development is the key to Indiana having success because they're not always going to get the five-star guys or the people that – uh, that that are rated the highest. They're just not going to do that because Indiana's tradition doesn't allow it. But at the same time, this guy thinks he can get it done because he can develop people. If he's got a plan to develop them, I'm behind him a thousand percent. And Don, going right along with that, the mentality that he has and what he believes, how crucial is that for not only going out and getting the right guys for Indiana, but also when he goes and talks with the team as it is right now, at least those that are left, getting those guys to buy in or getting those guys that are thinking about transfer portal to come back? Well, it's, it's going to be critical. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got 20-some kids that already announced that they're going to go in the portal, which I guess is open today. Um, and you've got a bunch of high school kids that had committed, and verbally committed, and now four or five of those guys have dropped out and said that they're reopening their their recruitment well he's going to look at them and see if he thinks they fit if they do he'll have them if he don't they won't and it's pretty simple and he keeps saying that word simple um and i i believe him i think i think that's exactly how you have to look at it and again i think the development uh, part of it is the biggest key to this being a successful program again Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest here on Query and Company on this Monday. Don, obviously Big Ten plays, switching to the basketball side of things. I thought an impressive win over Maryland. Maryland maybe not the the, the typical Terrapin team that we're used to, um, but I think that you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you kind of anticipated that there were going to be some, some growing pains, if you will, or just kind of some feeling out with this roster for Indiana and it felt to me like that Maryland game was the first step that some other guys, aside from those that we are accustomed to seeing leading the way, are starting to find rhythm a little bit. But give me the Don Fisher reaction and perspective in that 12-point win over Maryland. Well, I liked what I saw for 30 minutes, I can tell you that. Um, this team basically took it out of Maryland's hands in the early part of the ball game, and they had a 12-point lead at halftime. They held Maryland to, a 12, to uh, 28 points in the first half. And they continue to play that kind of defense in the second half. Uh, unfortunately, the turnovers in the last 10 minutes of the ball game, I think they had 11, uh, really kind of killed their momentum and the opportunity to make it a blowout. But the, the fact of the matter is this team is getting better. 
They've made, they've processed a couple of guys now here who have gotten much better in their last few ball games, i.e. Khalil Ware and um, Mackenzie Mbako. Both those guys have really stepped up, especially in the last two ball games, scoring and rebounding wise in both cases. And then you've got Xavier Johnson who left with an injury in that Harvard ball game uh, and hasn't been back since and probably won't be for another week or two, maybe even longer than that. We don't know what his status is. All we know is that it's a foot injury. It's not the same injury that he had last year. It's to the other foot, which is not a good thing. But nevertheless, I don't think it's as serious as what we saw last season. But with him being out of the lineup, I thought Trey Galloway stepped up uh, in the leadership role that was terrific in this ball game. So that's another guy. And we still haven't seen his three-point shooting prowess, what he showed last year. But at this juncture, he's starting to play the game the way it should be again. Uh, I thought he gave tremendous energy in that matchup against uh, Maryland. And I'm really excited about what I see from this ball club. That doesn't mean it's not going to it's going to translate to every game that they play from here on out. But you can see that they're getting better. There's a process that takes place with new guys, with guys that are new to the program. And one of the big keys in this ball game, or any ball game coming up, is how much that bench gives them, because that bench is really important to this ball club. I really believe that. And uh, unfortunately, in the early going, we didn't see the bench do very much. All of a sudden, now it's starting to kick in, too, and that's going to be a key. Don, obviously, Xavier Johnson's an important piece. I mean, so... But with him out, if if I'm looking silver lining here, and I want your perspective on this, I guess a silver lining could be for Gabe Cups and as well C.J. Gunn, two guys that might just simply need reps, right, to just get that familiarity. Could there be some benefit for Indiana later in the year in the fact that those guys might be getting minutes? Because C.J. Gunn in particular, and you you tell me if I'm wrong here, but He's one that I really think needs to get just some minutes to just kind of get some shots falling and get confidence underneath them to be able to acclimate and, and blend in with everybody else to give them some additional depth. And this might be the opportunity for him to do so. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think he's he could be a very important piece. Uh, the problem is, is that he comes out of high school as a shooter. And he's proven that he's not afraid to shoot the basketball. The fact of the matter is they're not going down right now especially from outside. And I think he's a guy that has to understand there's more to the game than just shooting. You have to play the whole game. You've got to play defense, and I think he works at defense. When I've seen him in ball games, I see him hustle, I see him go after people, and I like that. But I think his basketball, if, it, if, if there's anything about basketball that's critical, it's understanding your role. And at this point, that's the big question mark on CJ. Does he understand his role, and can he handle that understanding? And right now, we're, we haven't seen enough of that. I think he's very capable of it, but it's going to be an opportunity here because of the absence of Xavier Johnson because guard play is going to be critical, and that's one area that they haven't been scoring a lot lately. The guards have not produced a lot of points at this juncture, and they have to get better at that. And Trey Galloway is a guy that certainly stepped up the other night C.J. Cups, or C.J., uh, Gabe Cups is a guy that has to do that as well. He's just a freshman. He's learning. He's going to get it because um, he's got a terrific basketball IQ. But right now, I think the big key for this ball club is to stay on track here and not get ahead of themselves and understand that every game that they play, especially in these next couple of weeks, is going to be critical to their rebuild. Don, last question for you. Don Fisher is our guest. I've always wondered this, and I thought – you could kind of give a glimpse 
to IU basketball fans that are listening. So Indiana, for example, next at Michigan, okay? What's the travel like? I mean, I'm assuming that they take like a team plane, but do they typically fly in and out same day? Does it become – do they fly back immediately after the game or is that dependent upon what time the game ends? What is the travel like for a big-time Big Ten college basketball program? Well, it's not that difficult, to be quite honest. We take charters. Uh, I go with the team uh, just about every place that they go. We, so we do charter most of the time. Uh, occasionally we'll drive if it's Purdue or Illinois or Ohio State perhaps. But most of the time we do charter with the team. And the team leaves like this afternoon. We're going to leave around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. After practice is over with, uh, they'll go up to Ann Arbor. They'll get uh, their rooms all situated. They'll go to dinner. Uh, They'll go to snack. They have uh, film watching sessions and that kind of thing in the evening. And then tomorrow, because it's a nine o'clock game, uh, they'll go through the process of uh, a walkthrough and a practice session in the morning uh, in the arena. Uh, Then they'll come back, they'll rest, get ready for the ball game, and they'll come home right after the game is over with. If, in fact, the charter plane is ready and available to take home, because we've had that situation happen a couple of times already. So, Honestly, when they went to the when they went to the Empire Classic in New York, the charter uh, basically got canceled. We were supposed to get home on Monday night. It got canceled, and the team and the coaching staff and everybody didn't get back until seven thirty p.m. the next day. Well, Don, you've so got sometimes time. Sometimes those things aren't really great. You've got time tomorrow to go over to Canada and buy some Cuban cigars, and then like Dave first and I get stopped at the border on the way back. So just give yourself extra time if you do. <laughs> they don't take those things lightly, I understand. Found out the hard way. I, I, doubt, that the, I doubt that they would. Uh, I don't think I'm going to cross any border this this day, and age, especially me with my age. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because that could be a one-hour adventure or a three-day adventure. You just kind of never know. Hey, Don, yeah, travel exactly safely. Right. We appreciate the time as always. You bet, guys. Thanks for All right, Don me. Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, Mike Chappell going to join us at the top of the hour. We come back a little bit more just around the NFL from yesterday. Not only the Colts, but things that happened that might have influence on them as well. When we continue the conversation here on a Monday. Good afternoon to you. It's Quarian Company here on 93.5107. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm the fan. I mentioned Ace Ventura earlier. Is that the uh, is that what cued this up? It sure was. I love this song. Like wow. a glove. Either one of you guys can tell me who does this song. I will be so highly impressed. I'm cheating right now, so BK, it's all you. Oh, uh, I know. I it. have it right in front of me, or else How about I'd help this? You. you. This is exactly what you need if you want to put something in the jukebox. Yeah, I. I don't they're, know your hand circular, signals. Kyle. They're circular shaped. You put them in the slot. You used to need them quarters? to take the New York City subway. Kind of quarters. Um, arcade. Think arcade game. Tokens? Yeah. The tokens is the token, Look that's at you, right. BK. That's right. Uh, actually, you know what's kind of funny? Uh, like Ace Ventura, yes, but I know this song and associate it most with the treehouse scene from The Sandlot. Yeah, I, could, I think a lot of people, The Sandlot probably awakens a lot of different songs for people, right? Do you want some more? Ray Charles? Uh, some more of what? I've only seen that movie once. Can you believe that? Really, it's a good movie though. Yeah, really good. Movie. That's Sandlot's one of those that you don't have. You can sit down and watch it once, and then you see each scene a hundred times because yeah. it's replayed so many different places. You play ball like a girl. By the way, how bad yesterday 
was the Chargers-Patriots game. Horrid. Do you realize the Patriots... What did I see the statistic about the New England Patriots? They're like the first team in NFL history to have something like three straight games of holding their opponent up to 10 points or fewer, and they are they lost all three. I mean... And their one dynamic offensive player this year, Ramonde, uh, excuse me, Ramondre, thank you, Stevenson got hurt. So now Zeke Elliott could be their RB1. They, um, obviously, it's over for Mac Jones because one would assume that they're going to be in contention for one of the big quarterbacks in the draft. But looking around the league yesterday, again... Colts got a little bit of help because they not only held serve, but Arizona defeating Pittsburgh, and that's going to be big. That makes that game December 16th even bigger between the Colts and the Steelers because they are going to be neck and neck with one another, and that really gives the Colts an opportunity to separate themselves even further moving up. And it's crazy as it is to sound, here we are in December and we're talking about playoff slotting. But in addition to that, also big because, again – the Texans get a win over the Broncos. And, you know, Denver's kind of in that conversation as well, Brennan. Who thought that would be the case? But you have an opportunity with the Texans still on the schedule to be able to, again, get that separation. So, really, I, mean, I think we know now, you know, you're looking at wild card slotting, right? And things yesterday, they got some assistance, and then obviously that makes that win that much bigger around the league what jumped out at you if anything yesterday mm, i mean i'm just gonna look at the rest of the scores because i mean how about san francisco yeah. manhandling philadelphia that right? was something i mean I, we talked about them earlier I, I would you go surprise of the league for houston this year yes just based off of oh, what stroud has yeah, done yeah, for sure you know to be honest with you i I wouldn't say surprise of the league for what I'm about to say, but another pleasant surprise maybe or validation. I think a lot of people wanted to see if Brock Purdy could do and continue in San Francisco what he has done. And he, he it got off to kind of a slow start, but he's kind of back in rhythm again. And if he's playing well, and now that, you know, and they're healthy, right? I mean, you got McCaffrey, you've got Debo Samuel, who's a huge weapon. I mean, San Francisco's loaded. We don't talk about San Francisco probably because of just the fact, um, you know, they're on the West Coast. We hear it, we see, you know, you, you can't swing a dead cat without an Eagles game being on national television. But San Francisco might be the best team in the league right you know, now. And you know what's crazy about the game yesterday? Purdy got off to an ultra slow start, as did San Francisco. I mean, the first quarter, they were awful. I think, it, I know this because Purdy's my fantasy quarterback, his first completion did not come until more than halfway into the first quarter. I mean, that was an ultra slow start for San Francisco, and they ended up scoring 42. I was going to say, he made up for it after that, right? No doubt Over about 300. it. Over 300. No doubt you about know, it. You know, the other thing yesterday that was a little bit surprise, maybe not the right word, but Cleveland is a team that, again, in that mix, right, 7-5, and five, right there with the goal. This might be a good sign for Indianapolis. Cleveland's a team that because they obviously have, you know, Deshaun Watson's out, and they go out, they get Joe Flacco. He throws for 254. All reliable, right? Yeah, but I mean, honestly, to come in, though, with, with – and I listened to a little of that game. I was out driving around, and David Bell had a couple of uh, drive-extending catches for them. I think he only had two catches in the game, but they were two big ones. But, but Flacco just – 
to be able to come in kind of off the street and 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 even yeah. be competent is impressive. But the bigger issue is this for Cleveland. Cleveland's going to have their quarterbacking issues, but for them to give up 36 to the Rams, the defense of the Cleveland Browns, we assume, is what's going to keep them in that conversation with the Colts for an AFC wild card. And if Cleveland's suddenly, if their defense is suddenly showing some holes in it, and it's not as ironclad as we thought, that's good news for the Colts because I don't think their offense is going to be able to sustain them in game, in offsetting games if their defense is not upholding its end of the bargain. And, you know, Cleveland's got some major deficiencies now with due to injury, but that is one area where you look at it and you go, okay, so maybe now all of a sudden they are vulnerable in an area where we did not think that they were going to be. Mike Chappell to talk about the Colts doing it now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Brennan Cook. Or what? Brennan Cook. Excuse me. <laughs> Brennan King. I was just about to say Jimmy Cook not here today. Brennan King filling in. My apologies. <laughs> I didn't sleep well last night for whatever reason, Brendan, so that's okay. hard. I don't know why. Oh, always. Um, it's understandable. Joining us now on the program, of course, the dean of writers covering the Indianapolis Colts. He does so now for WXIN and for CBS4, WTTV. Mike Chappell joins us on the program. Chap, you don't mind me calling you the dean, do you? Whatever, just call me. You know, when they quit calling you, when you when they quit calling you, you wish they'd call you anything. So that's right. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Hey, yesterday, and I want you to tell me if because it's listen, it's a it's a beautiful day out, right? It's gorgeous, and here we are. It's a great time of year, holiday season. You know, we're we're now within two and a half years of when they're going to get the stairs repaired on Monument Circle. I mean, there's a lot to love, right? And right. And yet, I had said this earlier, and I want you to tell me if I'm being too negative, Nancy. I think it's great the Colts are in the playoff conversation. I think it's wonderful that they are beating the teams they're supposed to beat and as a result have their first four-game streak in a number of years. But I'm a little bit worried because I was saying earlier, when teams get eliminated, typically the game they lose that eliminates them are a microcosm of the little things that they were able to overcome and the little minds they were able to step around over the course of the regular season. And I do feel like this team, even though it's winning, there are a couple of areas that still are rearing their ugly head. Notably, yesterday, for example, just the rush defense. You know, their, their pass rush was good, and that's maybe we don't give that enough credit. But I'm still worried, even with Grover Stewart coming back, about their ability to stop the run, Mike. And I feel like they're still kind of playing with fire. Am I being too harsh? Probably. I mean, because keep in mind, they were without their quarterback, Richardson. They were without their running back, Taylor. They were without Grover. Braden Smith gets hurt early. So, you know, every team, well, every team except maybe Frisco, you think, man, how are you going to cover? How do you think they're fitting in KC right now? So every team, just about every team has a flaw. Many teams have more flaws, and this team does. But I, 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 and you're totally valid to say, boy, you know, giving up 177 yards, uh, 
too many too many big plays you gave up, and and Minshew still makes me nervous. He just does. But 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 they are winning. They're they're playing. Who's there? It's, it's not their fault that you know Joe Burrow's out, and, and they should get a break uh, Sunday in Cincy. And Carolina's a is a dumpster fire. No, I'm and I've been where you are, and it's valid. I just think it's time to say, man, all the crap they've been through, the adversity they've been through, and here they are, seven and five. I mean, if you'd have told Stike and anybody. We'll give you seven and five after twelve weeks. What do you think? They'd, they'd, they'd have been all in. So b- both can be true. Both, you know. And, and you're right. Whenever you're generally, whenever you're bounced from the playoffs, it'll be you got run over, or or the quarterback made a couple of mistakes that you weren't good enough to overcome. Totally valid. But I think every team can say that. We just we get so focused on these guys because it's our market. This is where we are. I would right now. And this isn't being homerish at all. I just tend to look at what they've done as opposed to how they've gotten there and the shortcomings they've had to deal with. Yesterday, I mean, things had to happen. Nick Fold Nick Fold hit that hit that extra point. It's over. It, it, yeah. it, it's over. So so it's all that. But that that that's what teams do. And again, it's so easy to forget that they're without three of their best players for, for, for long stretches of time. And they've done this. That's why I say I know people have, have mentioned Steichen for Coach of the Year. You just shouldn't brush that off. I think he's done more with less than just about anybody else. And the thing about him, Mike, and I can't remember if it was if it was you that I brought this up to last week, but the thing about Steichen to me that I think is easy to forget, he just looks in control. Like he just – there are certain coaches, the eye test doesn't always mean everything, but over the course of the year, not only steadying the waters amongst some of the things that you mentioned, but he seemingly more often than not seems to have like the right call or answer and just does so in a very stoic but confident fashion. And that seems to kind of be rippling down. But Mike, the reality is, am I correct in saying this, that's really probably unusual for a young coach, let alone a rookie coach. It seems like he doesn't show you, he doesn't show us a lot of the churning that I'm sure is inside of him. You talk to players and other coaches and it's, well, he's all ball. That's what he is. And that's how he kind of reflects himself on the sideline. And that's not, that's not a knock at Frank at all, at all. I mean, he had to deal with a lot of, a lot of adversity, but I just kind of did this play players tend to, you know, kind of emulate what their coach does. They take on his personality and that's what they've done. It, it's, and we get tired of hearing it to want to know the focus and, and all this stuff. And, and I, I'm the first to admit he's not the best interview during the week. That's fine. I, I'd rather have, we, we've had great talkers. I go back to Ron Meyer. He'd sell you, you know, he'd, he'd sell you the, you know, the snowblower in, uh, in, in Hawaii. He'd sell you on, he'd sell you on the idea of the wishbone for three games, right? <laughs> and, and you'd say, okay, all right. But, but, then, but then after a couple of games, it just wears off. And then who are you? Uh, so I, I like what he's done. I, I and we'll see. What's he going to do when he gets Richardson and Taylor? For the long stretch. I mean, I'm really curious. So, you know, I I would kind of like to see this thing 
win these games that you got a really good chance of winning. I think I think you're favored in. Now Pittsburgh's got what? what uh, uh, Kenny Pickett has uh, ankle surgery, so you might get Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know, the, the toughest team come up is Pittsburgh and then Houston. So I just like where they are. I like how they've gotten there. And th- these guys are not going to win pretty. They just aren't. They're not built that way now because of the pieces they're missing. And it's going to take, I'm not saying two block punts. I mean, come on, that happens once every 30 years maybe. But it's just, it's not going to be an aesthetic piece but make those three or four plays in the fourth quarter, and, and here you are. And, and that's what so many times in the past, even last year, as much of a dumpster fire as that was last year, they make three or four plays, and, and things are totally different. So whether that's the coach's influence or what, I don't know. But they've had now like six or seven starting offensive line combinations because of injuries, yet they found ways. And I like it's, – it's funny where the pass rush – you really like to have a guy, whether it's Freeney, whether it's Mathis, whomever it is. And these guys have got guys. They've got like, you know, they got like eight or nine guys that, that, that if they get a couple of sacks, they're not totally shocked. Quiddy's playing well. Ebukon's playing well. Dial's playing well. Taekwon gives you quality minutes. So uh, I prefer to have a guy. But when you can do it by committee like this, uh, you get 42 sacks. That's like. It's like I think the franchise record since '82 when sacks were official is like 46. Right. So they're going to blow that out of the water, and it, you know at the end of the year they ask you know how many did you get, not who got them. So it's pretty impressive. Mike, I know it started off poorly, considering in the Cleveland game Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt ran it down their throat. Saints game Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, and I realize Jake and I talked about this earlier. You just beat four. Pretty average team. Some of them, some of them bad. But knowing now that you went four and two without Grover Stewart, how big of a storyline is that? It, that's what I said they found a way. You know, it's the, 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 the run defense has been. It, it's not been bad. It's been atrocious. It's like without Grover, it's just. I looked at the numbers. It's one fifty three a game, four point seven, and with him, it's one thirteen three point seven. So it's it's massive, and it probably will take him a game to kind of get to get back. Uh, he's been at the complex for the last two or three weeks. Uh, he plays for the first time this week. It, it's huge. That's why I say when you look at what they've had to compensate with, with we talked to Gareth Bradley last week. He said, well, the silver lining is a lot of guys have gotten experience. Well, these are guys that you had decided you weren't going to play very much for reason. And now you've had to. It, it, it'll make a huge difference. And, and that's just going to make grow, uh, Buck better inside. And he's been – He's one of the top five guys at his position every year, and, he, and that's the case again this year. And, and then you get Quiddy, you know, playing well, on, and Samson on the other side. So th- there's no question it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big uh, boost. To me, it's still all going to come down. And I, you hate to put it on one guy, but it's still going to come down to the quarterback. I was shocked, and, and I heard Jake mention it earlier. That's the first game that Minshew's won throwing for 300 yards. That's that's crazy. That's just crazy, uh, and I'd always use use his dad how how ineffective he was throwing forty passes. He was like one in ten or whatever it was, and he's like three and two this year doing that because normally the more a guy plays, the more the flaws come out. But he's doing 
he's doing enough. And now, now the, the the fumble was just. I mean, that's what that's what just drives you crazy is an occasional turnover where you just can't have one. It's a five yard line. I mean, really. Uh, so, but but that's who he is, and that's why I say this is this isn't going to be pretty down the down you know the the last five or six games, whatever it is, was it five games? My Ball State math is failing me. <laughs> but, but 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 all you need me to make is those three or four or five plays and and limit the boneheads, uh, and they got a chance. And once they get in, they're probably not going to make a deep run. I don't where they're going to go. Uh, Jacksonville, Miami, maybe, I don't know. But boy, to get in after all the stuff they've gone through and to have that as positive reinforcement for your first year as a head coach would be immense. Mike, it seems to me, Mike Chappell is our guest here on Quarry Company. It seems to me, and I want you to tell me if, 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 I, if I'm just seeing this wrong, a handful of years ago, every time I turned around like – every quarterback was thrown for like 350 and three touchdowns. And I know that it wasn't reality, but I'm saying like the, the offenses in the NFL seem to just be wide open. And now all of a sudden it seems like things have shifted. Maybe teams have just prioritized pass rush and defense in general like the Colts have in their last few drafts. But it seems like the overall stellar, wide open, huge numbered games for quarterbacks are are less now. Like you, some of the guys that we used to see throw for – 354, 410 in a game are now throwing for 220, 240, 260. Are things being officiated differently? Are are defenses just more athletic, or am I totally off base in general? There may be something to it. And then you've had some quarterbacks go down, you know. And then I look at Justin Herbert out in out in LA with the Chargers, and boy, what a, what, what a almost a train wreck they are with. With with not maximizing what they've got out there, no, I, I think it's still there. But but you know, you look last night. I don't think things are being officiated differently. They're being officiated strangely. Yeah, boy, that I game. Mean, how about that call against Mahomes last night? And I'm like, what is he not allowed? I mean, it, what's the defender supposed to do? He's in bounds, right? Well, that that was ridiculous. His feet were in bounds, and and then you get the the the, the, the non interference penalty. That would have put him at the five yard line with thirty or forty seconds to play and all that. That that that's what kind of drives you crazy. The Colts had the one against uh, Cleveland. Uh, was it Daryl Baker that got that got called for the, that's right. the yeah. interference? And then the league says, "Yeah, we messed that up." Well, great. You know, I mean, you can't you can't bring these things back. And so, yeah, but no, I, I, I this is still a passing league. It it still is. Uh, you look at what Brock Purdy and those guys are doing in in Frisco. It's not so much a downfield passing game; it's more inter- it, It's really like what it was with Montana and and Young. It seems like the the, the 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 run catch stuff, and then McCaffrey is a different level. I think I, I would still much rather have that guy who can wing it and, and take the, the good with the little bad, and hope that the the, the good over overcomes it, but. Uh, that's not who these guys are. I don't think that it really isn't. You look at Michael Pittman; he's still, I mean, he's on a he's on a roll right now, uh, which is really encouraging. And you talk about guys' opportunity uh, and timing. You know, in, in a contract year, and he's going to have his best season, and he, he's making the plays that a go-to guy wants. But the Colts are still not going to be even with the big throws to 
Alec Pierce. There's still not going to be a deep a deep game offense. I don't think with Minshew, you need to take shots to to, to let people know you can. But I don't think that's who they are. But I just still think it's kind of team to team. And I still give me a quarter. Give me Anthony Richardson every day, and, and uh, more of a more of a vibrant offense than what what these guys have right now here. Mike, the thing about Michael Pittman to me that is also impressive, he's in a contract year. We know that. We've talked about it a million times. You've written about it. You've talked about it. I've never heard Michael Pittman necessarily this year focus on that, unless I'm off base. I, you know, he, no. he, he. There are other guys that 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 talk about that, and he just goes out and kind of does his business. It, it's a little bit different now. He talked. Uh with the Jonathan Taylor stuff and how that thing went. And he, he mentioned, uh, I think Indy star, how, you know, that's, that might be a blueprint moving forward, how guys should do it, you know, play hardball and, and have a hold in and get what you want. Because as soon as the team doesn't want you, they're getting rid of you. So get what you can. Pittman's different because if he stays healthy, as he knew, he's getting his, I talked to him on, on Thursday, I think it was, did a story. And, and this time, all right, hang on just a second. Kylan, go ahead and put him on hold. We'll count to like 20 here because Chap all of a sudden walked into his basement. That happens every once in a while, right, Brennan? It does. It does. Yeah, randomly, my parents' house in Florida, they walk onto their lanai and can't talk on the phone. So you I'm ever like, have it happen? No. I'll be like talking to somebody on the phone and all of a sudden my phone just, it just drops out. Yeah. At a, a specific place in the house. What, what's the what's the SOS thing that pops up? You ever get that? Oh, that's the worst. And then you like you have to reboot your phone. It happens to me in this building all the time. And I'm like, wait, wait, you get what the SOS happened? here? Yes. When I get maybe up, they're you, calling for your help to build the stairs. I, <laughs> actually, that's, listen, the the maybe that's where Chap went. He went. He's downstairs on Monument Circle near the stairs, and everything went foobar, right? I mean, I don't know what happened there. Right in the middle of the good conversation. I, the, the thing about Pittman, he's right. I mean. It is interesting with Taylor, maybe that did set the blueprint, right, where all of a sudden teams are like, hey, you know, we got to expect our star is going to kind of play it this hard. Taylor ended up getting everything he was asking for. I mean, that's yeah. a funny thing. Like, people with, with the Jonathan Taylor situation, you know, it ended up kind of benefiting Jonathan Taylor. And the Colts are the ones that kind of took tail between the legs. But, uh, you know, obviously they get him back in the fold. All right, Mike, as is. Sorry about that. I, I didn't. I swear to God, that was on your end. I haven't moved. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. You can always blame me. I'm willing to take it, right? All right, but no, but no. On on on, Pitt, he knows he's getting his. Worst case, the, the franchise tags like twenty three point nine million, and if he gets a long term deal from here or somewhere else, it'll be more than that. So he knows. So it's a little different with him, and and then like I say, but you still have to come out and produce, and he has. So he's going to get his. I think the Colts have to resign him just because. Mike, so tell I, me the guy yesterday in the win over Tennessee. Get, give me, we'll go with two names. Give me two names of guys that don't get their proper due, and maybe aren't the type that make a splashy headline, but you've got to pat them on the back and, and say, you know what. Those guys yesterday did what they needed to do, and good for them. Tony Brown, I think you talked to him, talked about him early in the day, how he was kind of beaten up on people because of that corner. Well, he, he's not—that's he, not his job. His job is to play special teams, and he turned—he had one of the plays that turned the game around. 
other other than that, I mean, EJ Speed uh, he had like three tackles for yeah. loss. So he had some key stops. And that's yep. what you and that's what you need. You need guys like that to, to come up and make a contribution, and that's what it took to win that game. Okay. Other side of it would be, give me a player or two that is healthy, but we don't talk about it. But but they've got to find some consistency here because even amongst this win streak, they're they've regressed a little bit. If anybody, there may not be anybody, and that's why they won four straight. Uh, maybe a reach is Kylan Grants, and they need more out of their tight ends. Now, whether that's more of, of Minshew looking more to, to, to Pitt and, and Josh Downs, but they need to get more from their tight ends. That's probably an area uh, that, that, that concerns me a little bit more than any other. If you had your choice, if they were still active and you could do it, if you had your choice between seeing a Beatles reunion concert, Bob Seger for three straight nights, or let's say the Stones. Who are you going with? Oh, the Beatles. The wife and I, we took our daughter and, and granddaughter to Vegas over the summer, and we saw Cirque du Soleil, the, the Beatles thing, and it was just awesome. Just I, I, would, walk, I would walk over hot coals to see a, a Beatles reunion. I saw McCartney when he was in town here, and I'm sitting thinking, man, that's, that's – that's twenty five percent of the Beatles for crying out loud. I know, you know. And what's funny is the, the wife was she went to the fairgrounds in sixty four to see him. That's pretty awesome. So, yep. Now you know, Mike. As as time has gone on with the Beatles, and I love the Beatles. And I know you like. I mean, that's kind of a dumb question because obviously anybody I would think would pick the Beatles just for the historic aspect of it. But it feels to me like. George Harrison, like I, I think when I was a younger person, I didn't totally appreciate the contribution that he had. But would you agree that George Harrison, in terms of what he brought to the table and some of the things that he contributed, is vastly overlooked because of the greatness of McCartney and Lennon? Oh, he, he seemed like he always deferred. Yeah, and it got to the point that I think it really pissed him off. <laughs> Like, okay, okay, guys, do what you want to do, and I'll sit here and play my guitar and do this. No question. W- w- one of my favorite albums is the Traveling Wilburys. If you've ever had a chance to, to you know, with Tom Petty and Bob yeah. Dylan and, and Orbison. It's just Orbison's in there too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess they got together for like a weekend. And they just and some of the music's kind of sappy, but, it, God, it's just really good stuff. Uh, you know, the, the Bangladesh stuff that George Harrison did. Yeah, he was really – he probably spreaded his wings more post – you know, not more, because at, at, at the end of the Beatles, he did a lot of really good stuff. But, yeah, he, he was really good. But I, I just think it was a case of, you know, Ringo's the fourth Beatle. He was the third Beatle. And, and I think it got to the point that it really irritated him, which tells you maybe the greatness of those guys that they got along for so well uh, until it didn't work anymore. I read an interesting – column mike i i think i don't know two or three years ago so george harrison's and you probably know this his sister lived in illinois like champagne maybe I didn't know that and she passed away recently it was it was like two years ago three years ago and george harrison had a sister who came over to the states before he before the beatles did so she came over in like 59 or 60 it was an older sister and she lived in i believe it was champagne illinois but at any rate 
she lived in Illinois, and when George Harrison was just starting with the Beatles, he had come on two different occasions to visit her, and so she had told, she had like a friend that was the social manager at like the Knights of Columbus, and was like, you know, my brother actually is a musician, and he did two shows at like the Knights of Columbus or, or you That's know, like the, the Moose Lodge or whatever in Champaign, Illinois, like in 1960 and 61, and apparently... People in Illinois were like, I saw George Harrison before he was a Beatle. And, of course, everybody's like, yeah, sure you did. Right. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> and lo and behold, this his sister was just, you know, she was re- you know, she was married, right? So she, it was like Nancy Smith or whatever. And it's like, yeah. well, you know, she's actually Nancy Harrison Smith. <laughs> it's amazing. It is. It's just man. amazing. And I, I say whenever I get bored, I'll throw on Sergeant Pepper. I'll throw on Abbey, Abbey Road and all that. But it's, it's just traveling wheelberries. I just think that's. Uh, th- what they produced was really elite by elite musicians. It's funny because they, they ask, uh, they were asking Harrison or one of those guys about Orbison. And he said, he's got the greatest voice of all time. I've heard but, a lot of people say that. Yep. And then they, they always ask, you know, they asked George Harrison, you know, what's it feel like to, to be the best guitarist on the planet? He said, well, I don't know. Go ask Prince. So these guys, these guys, all you know, when my guitar, my guitar gently weeps. I mean, that's just that's just stuff that you can sit there and listen to all that. Well, hey, Prince's rendition of of wailing out to how my guitar gently weeps is one of the great, unbelievable, right? Just and you're right, Mike. Just the natural flat talent. There are certain people in any line, and I'm always mesmerized by this. In any area of whether it be broadcast, whether it be print, whatever it is. There are certain people that you realize that there was not going to be anything but destiny to stop them from yep. from being what they are because they were born to do it. And Prince is one of them, obviously. But so are the. I mean, the fact that John Lennon and Paul McCartney were both born at the same time on the planet in the same area of the world right. is unbelievable. Yep. You know. Yeah, um, the, and the, the staying power and, and uh, you know the, the impact they had is only, it's funny. The impact they had in the, in the early '60s and mid '60s was going to happen. But go back and look at what the music was before they got here. Oh, totally. I, I've it, said the it, it same wasn't thing. Much. Yes, you're exactly correct. But what I've always said, and then we can wrap it up back to the NFL. But but what I've always said, Mike, that is fascinating to me, just fascinates me, is that songs from the Beatles or the Stones or even the Doors, fifty years later, are still played in mainstream radio or overhead, yeah. and and most people know it in the background as the soundtrack of their life. Yet. In 1960, nobody was walking around bopping out the stuff from 1920. You know what I mean? I, I mean, nobody was like walking around in 1960, like, "Hey, man, can I borrow your Scott Joplin album?" I, it just wasn't <laughs> happening, right? Right. And again, they had they had to over, over overcome like Gene Pitney and Dale Shannon and all that stuff. Now, now Elvis was 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 hot stuff and all that, but but it was just there for it. But but on top of that, they, they would have been. You know, standard bears, regardless of the era, they just would have been. Don't go disparaging my Tommy Rowe now, Mike. Come on. I know, I know. <laughs> I like the bubblegum stuff. I, I go back and look. I use. I, I got a list of the top hundred songs from the from the sixties. The Archies. I think my my, you know, <laughs> yeah. yummy yummy and all that stuff. I'm thinking, holy crap! I used to listen to that, and it was in my head. And God. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> got to cleanse the palate. Mike, we appreciate the time. As always, look forward to talking to you next week as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right, Mike Chapel on the guest line. <laughs> Brennan's sitting there like, wait, what? what's going on here? I lost him at Yummy Yummy. <laughs> That's a great song, man. How about this? Is it, 
Ah, sugar, do 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 do. Ah, honey, honey, or is it ah, honey? Oh, that's okay. I know it now. Ah, sugar, sugar. Which is it? I've always sang it as honey, honey, but now I have no idea. Let's see. I'm glad Kylan's here today. Kylan, thank you for participating in my neuroticism here. I believe. Look it up, and I'll tell you on the other side because I think actually there's a curveball here, but I'll fill you in. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, here we go. It was a trick question. This is the Archies from 1969. So I asked, is it sugar, honey, honey, or honey, sugar, sugar? But, but hang on. Here's the thing. So the answer is, it's both. It's a trick question. You can stump anybody in a bar. You said this is the Archies? Yes. So we've had the Tokens and the Archies. Yes, that's correct. Today. Yeah, we're, we're, we're spinning it back. I like it here. We're going old school, right? It's, it's nice to share the studio with somebody who's aware of the music before 1996, right? See, I, I do like older music, but Kylan's different breed here. I mean, she's... <laughs> We try to stay cultured and appreciate She's all over the good stuff. We, we educate, stuff. Inter- inform, and culture on this program. That's correct. Actually, all Mike Chappell, blame him. He's the one that brought up the Archies. Uh, but that is the Archies from 1969, by the way. Um, I want to get back into, because we just talked plenty about the Colts, I want to get back into the college football playoff. Yeah. I get it. I th- I, and I do think, I'm not just saying this, and I, I get that this is the reason why they're there. I totally get it. I do think Alabama is going to win the national championship. Me too. Partially because I think Michigan is a little a paper tiger is the wrong word. Michigan's very good, but I think Michigan is kind of playing with fire a little bit. Defensively, Michigan was averaging under six points a game until the whole scandal broke. Yes, they still had Ohio State and Penn State on their schedule, but after that, now they're giving up 16 a game. Their defense clearly is not what it was for the first two-thirds of the season. But, and and I want to make clear on this, I have no rooting interest, and in, I have no problem with Alabama. I almost went to the University of Alabama. My buddy Chris Farkas, who I've talked about on this show a million times, went to Alabama. I... I went to the Alabama-Clemson National Championship game in Tampa, and the Bama fans were wonderful. My friend Leslie Decker's daughter goes to Alabama. I mean, I have no problem with Alabama. And I'm not some fan of Florida State. I'm a Clemson fan, so if anything, I would be against Florida State, right? But the college football committee, and and I have some audio from Mike Leach that I had sent to Kylan. Let me play for you what Mike Leach, the late, great Mike Leach, said this was when he was at Washington State. So this goes back a few years when the NCAA College Football Committee came about. There's a couple of sound bites that are kind of clipped together from him at a press conference a few years ago. But here's the late Mike Leach. You know, we're American. We love committees. Let's get us a committee. Well, who should be on the committee? Well, I don't know. This guy's a good guy. Let's have him on the committee. Well, I mean, there's people on the committee that don't even have remote associations with football, nor have they at any level other than being a fan. But you know what? Let's have them on a committee. Why not? And then we'll decide which four teams should go. Because you know why? We don't need to solve this on the field. Because we're the ones that know. 
And then, um, um, so, I mean, you know, if we're going to do it that way, we should just ask them at the beginning of the season, you know, just go ahead and you guys vote on it, figure out one, two, three, and four, and why, why even have the games? I mean, how can you how can you call it a playoff when when there's four teams? Uh, conference champions don't even necessarily make the playoffs because you know why? Because the committee knew better. I mean, it's amazing how prophetic that is. Yeah. And it was the perfect storm. And I realize that this is the final year of this system, and next year it goes to twelve. But here is why Florida State got absolutely a raw deal. At the beginning of a season, your job as a college football team is to win the games on your schedule and perhaps to challenge yourself beyond the games in which you, can, you can't control. In other words, if Florida State is in the ACC and the ACC is down, Florida State can't control that. They can't, Florida State can't control that Clemson has a down year or that Virginia Tech's not any good anymore or Miami disappointed. So what Florida State did is said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll test ourselves then and let's sandwich the ACC season by going and playing against the almighty SEC. Let's schedule LSU and let's play them on a neutral field and let's lead them by 28 points in the fourth. And let's take on Florida, who was down this year, but still it's a rivalry game. But here's the thing, our quarterback is out and our backup quarterback is going to have to play in that game. And then our backup quarterback in the Florida game is still going to help us beat Florida, but he's going to get a concussion. So we're going to have to go with a third-string quarterback who's taken two snaps in his college career against Louisville, who blew out Notre Dame and is an offensive team typically that puts up big numbers. And yet with a third string quarterback, Florida state absolutely shut them down and wins the game to win their conference championship. The true definition of team, because without their starting quarterback, Jordan Travis, who's out for the year, they were still able to finish a perfect season to win the games that were on their schedule. Now where I have problem are the two following things. By the committee coming out and saying, well, we had to take into consideration that Florida State's not the same team they were for the majority of the season because their quarterback is not there anymore, is totally unfair to Jordan Travis. In today's day, when you have people with gambling apps and everything else and, and, and wagering involved, what you are telling people that lost money that had wagered on Florida State either being a playoff team or even Florida State to win a national championship team it comes down now. They put it on a billboard for everybody to see. Florida State is not going to win the national championship because Jordan Travis got hurt. And a young player, a, a young – and I know that, I mean, he's probably making NIL money and it's hard to see. You know, he's not some poor little like college athlete that's trying to get a slice of pizza. I get it. But but nonetheless, he's still a young person. And the entire he, – he, he sent a tweet that said, I apologize that I got hurt when I did. That's ridiculous. They shouldn't be penalized because he got hurt. If anything, they should be congratulated because they continued to exhibit that they didn't rely on one player because they won games even without him. Are they a different team without him? Sure. But number one, you're still going to have the backup quarterback back for the playoff or the bowl game. What Florida State should have done, Florida State should have totally lied through their teeth and said, you know what, Jordan Travis, even though the fact that like his ankle's in four places – we're just going to tell you that he's got a high ankle sprain and he's going to be back in three weeks. Because guess what? Then they're in. If people thought Jordan Travis was going to be there, they put him in. Next year, what they should do is this. Give me a team, Brendan, give me a college football program off the top of your head that's like a 15 to 20 slot team. Give me one. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. So next year, let me tell you what Notre Dame should do. 
If Notre Dame next year is 9-2 and two, and in the final regular season college football playoff rankings they slot at 11, but they have one game left, then they need to come out and say, <laughs> you know what, on Wednesday our starting quarterback unfortunately got COVID protocol, so he's not going to be able to play on Saturday, but he is going to be back after next – we expect him back within two weeks. So then when if they lose – then they've taken all the heat off themselves. Well, if they lose – it doesn't matter because we don't judge based on the last game if the backup quarterback – like, well, th the starting quarterback is going to be available for them, so we can't really look at – we can't judge that team because that's not the reality of who we're going to see in the playoff. The playoff team that, w that we're going to put in is the one with their starter. So we just have to factor in the games played with the starter, and he's going to be back, so let's just put him in there. Florida State beat more teams in, than anyone in college football that are going to a bowl game. Florida State, sure, they weren't the top team. I think LSU was third in the SEC West or whatever it is. They were or tied for second. LSU's a good program. They beat LSU soundly on a neutral field. They won their conference. They're a Power 5 undefeated conference champion. So let's go to Alabama. Yeah, but Jake, Alabama just looks better. Right now, the, the committee said the four best teams, and Alabama just beat the number one team. No, they didn't. According to the committee, Georgia's not one of the four best teams. Well, they're not one of the four best teams, though, because they lost. Understood. But what I'm saying is, okay, so so it so everything comes down to one game in today's age. So I'm not saying that's Al correct, it, it, but that's Alabama. What I'm saying is, everybody looks at Alabama and says they beat Georgia, so therefore they have to be in. Well, what about a week before where they needed a fourth and a miracle to yeah. beat six win Auburn? And and it w the reason Alabama had to get in is not because they beat Georgia. I mean, obviously they had to beat Georgia for this argument to be taking place. But once Texas won, then you knew okay, Texas winning that's what changed everything because Texas won and Texas had beaten Alabama. Yeah. So if Alabama were to win to win the SEC, then you had to take Texas and Alabama as a pair. Whereas whereas if Georgia if Georgia beats Alabama, Texas probably doesn't get in, right? Then you have Georgia, and then Flor then you take Florida State over Texas because, uh, you know, you look Texas got in because they were attached at the hip to Alabama because they beat Alabama. My point is simply this, and that is that a team should be rewarded for the for the totality and body of work. And if you want to tell me till the cows come home that they had to do it because the four best teams had to be selected. What about the year Cincinnati got in? Did anybody really think Cincinnati was one of the four best teams? What about when TCU? Did anybody really think TCU was one of the four best teams? No, but they earned it on the field. They earned it on the field. Now, Florida State's going to go to a bowl game and play Georgia, and if they get beat, everybody's going to go, see, they didn't belong. Well, half these teams now, if you're not in the playoff, nobody plays. Nobody plays, right? Nobody plays. So... What Florida State, the moral of the story here, and it's a little bit of a moot point because next year they're going to 12 instead of 4, but what Florida State should have done is just lied through their teeth. Florida State should have just said, you know what, Jordan Travis is, you know, he's going to be, he's back, he's going to be healthy. We, we did an evaluation on that. We were totally wrong on the ankle. He, he's good to go. Then they're in, right? It wasn't a great look either. <laughs> I was listening to the station last night. I was driving around. I was, I went to the store, had the station on. National ESPN Radio. They take a caller. Caller makes actually a pretty good point. The CFP did themselves a disservice by putting Florida State at four last week. It looks even worse because of that. 
Correct, because they have the they, the same. How are they four? Yeah. How are they four with the backup quarterback? So I think Florida State got hosed, Jake. I do. But I also think Alabama at the same time deserves to be in. That's my opinion. I, I think you could think Florida State got hosed, but also Alabama earned what, the right to be What I'm saying in. is this. I don't dispute. Uh, Alabama I, is, exactly. is excellent. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is if Alabama, if Alabama deserves to get in, it's because of one game. And that's and it the, should be that's college football today. But two weeks ago, Alabama was dead to rights. You're you're right. You're two right against a bad team. But nobody thinks about that anymore because that's the state of college it, it, football. It came down to literally. It comes down when they say it comes down to the eye test. They mean off one game. Florida <laughs> yeah, State. Florida State was football. lackluster against Louisville. But Louisville. Here's the thing. I'm not some Louisville fan, but Louisville's. I mean, that's a top 15 team. Yeah. And they went out, well, yeah, but they had some quarterback I'd never heard of. And they still beat them. They still beat Louisville. Right? Yeah. College football is a weird game. I think Florida State got hosed. I think Bama should be in. But also next year, Jake, when you go to 12, and this doesn't happen in college basketball because when there's 68 teams, there's there's never a 69th team. It's like, you know what? Rarely is a 69th team like, oh, we just, you know, there's – not as much controversy. When you go to twelve, there's still going to be a thirteenth team. Uh, you're exactly right. There's still going to no, be. A, right. There's always going to be you're a thirteenth right. team. Now, I've always said that about the NCAA tournament. Well, they should go to 129. Great. So then 130th team yeah, is right. PO'd, right? But the other thing is that, like, with all of it, I just feel like if you have an undefeated, I mean, amongst the Power Five, if if the if there are conference champions. Michigan's unbeaten, right? Yeah. Florida State's unbeaten. Um, Washington's unbeaten, mm-hmm. right? And then it comes down to, in my opinion, those three, because they're the three power fives that are unbeaten, should have been in. And then it comes down to Texas or Alabama. And in that scenario, you would take Texas because they have the head-to-head. I Literally, it, it should be, to me, it just – what Florida? What you told Florida State? What you told Florida State? What is college athlete? What is the NCAA? And I know that the NCAA does not have bearing on the college football committee. I get it, but what is the NCAA? What is the message of college athletics? The NCAA tells you that college ninety five percent of our athletes don't make the pros. They learn things like teamwork and importance of rising to the occasion and overcoming adversity that teach lifelong lessons. In Florida State's case, what the what the college football committee just said to Florida State was, when you faced your biggest adversity and your quarterback went down, you should have mailed it in and quit. Why come to work the next day? Why? Your your computer goes down, don't bother coming in. Don't screw it. We don't expect anything of you. Instead, Florida State said, "You know what? Our guy went down. We're going to rally around him because we still, as a team, have a commitment to this university, this athletic program, and our desires to be the best that we can be. And they went out and they still won games, and everybody looked at him and said, guess what? I know there's 100 of you, but we only care about one. It sucks. But I'll still watch the games, and I still think Alabama won them. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Sun is out indeed. Pretty day outside. Sunny for the Colts after yesterday's win in Nashville. Much more on that. Rob Blackman joining us halfway through the 2 o'clock hour to talk Purdue basketball. Uh, If you were shopping yesterday on the north side of Indianapolis, I have a confession and apology to make right here on these fine airwaves. My name is Jake Query, and I committed the following shopping faux pas, and I apologize to those who might have witnessed it. Um, I will not say the name of the store, but I had to go out yesterday. I was uh, gift wrapping. Are you a good rapper? No, oh, no, terrible. No. Mm. Are you? Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually just put it in a bag a, and take a, some I like. Think that's kind of a gender generic answer, is it not? Probably. My dad I, is the best rapper of my family. Really? really? He is. Wow. He's very OCD about it. Perfectly lined. Yep. It's impressive. It. I've always thought the best rapper was Slick Rick. Two shorts, pretty good too. Um, I, I get, I have the problem of like the corners. I get like the huge, like all of the excess paper that you know what I mean. And then yeah. like one piece of tape, you like there's the potential of getting injured by the paper that flies off. So yesterday I'm gift wrapping and I'm like, okay, I need a couple of gift boxes and a roll of wrapping paper. So I went to a a major store and I bought those items and it, with a, with a few other things. So I had the gift wrap under my arm. Now, the the line was one of those places where the line is like the serpent line, and it's got like a long, and they're not stupid. They have like waist high or a little higher than waist high. The shelves in the serpent line of just assorted add-on junk that you might buy, right? Like a, a, a two-year-old expired box of Toblerone candy, and then next to that is, a, you know, the plastic tube of M&Ms that's halfway open, that kind of thing. So... I get into the serpent line, and the lady in front of me has a huge cart of stuff, and she says to me, you you can go ahead of me. And I said, oh, thank you. So I go in front of her, and then I thought, you know what? It was nice of her, so I'm going to buy her a candy bar. (laughs) So I turn around to say to her, you know, that was so nice of you. When I get up there, I'll buy you a candy bar. Not thinking about the fact that the roll of wrapping paper is still under my arm. Uh-oh. So as I'm swiveling now, all of a sudden, I'm like George with Kramer with the puffy coat in the liquor store, <laughs> and I wiped out like seven bottles of, of bottled coffee that they had, right? And so it, so they shatter everywhere, and, and like the lady in front of me is getting like, you know, no. glass on the Crocs. And so I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And now I've got to be, and now I've got to go through the serpent line to go let the attendant know I've just created this hell's half acre disaster and but but it was hard to do because i had the i still had it under my arm because my hands are full so i'm trying to swivel through the serpent line without creating any more disaster meanwhile the guy behind me decides that he's going to help out in cleaning this up he knocks over a can of soda now it's spraying or it's and it's you know what i mean it's going bonkers and i go up to the lady and i said excuse me um i created a big disaster here you might be able to see it's where there's the fountain going off of, of soda everywhere and people standing around and she says to me and i quote what do you want me to do about it? Ooh. I go, I, I don't know. I just thought you'd want to know that it probably should be cleaned up. Well, I mean, I don't deal with the aisle stuff. I just do the registers. Okay. So if you walked through broken glass and a bunch of coffee at a major store yesterday, my apologies. I did my part. But you got your wrapping paper. I got my wrapping paper. <laughs> I went home and wrapped as if it was a freestyle Eminem concert. Two o'clock hour underway. My name is Jake Query, the coffee shattering gift wrapper. 
Brendan King, who I almost called Brendan Cook again, is in Jimmy Cook on his way back from Lambeau Field. No jury duty this time. That's right. Um, And and I'm a little, uh, I have to admit, I'm a little um, incredulous about he admitted that for the jury duty, I think he was off three days for jury duty, but he later admitted that he was weeded out after day one. Now, I, I don't know, but I would think that, that, that you would then return. But maybe if you get jury duty and you get off work for it, you just as long as the trial goes on. Can you imagine if you had been selected jury duty as an alternate for the O.J. Simpson trial? I'm not coming back for two and a half years. <laughs> or like get sequestered. I mean, like where do they sequester juries? I know that the, the Tyson trial, they sequestered them at the Indianapolis Athletic Club, which no longer has hotel rooms. But uh, As in Mike Tyson? Mm-hmm. What did what did he do? Mike Tyson, the Indianapolis Tyson trial. Oh, like not the boxer. Yes. Different, different than the boxer. No, Mike Tyson, the boxer. Yeah. had a trial in Indianapolis for what? Well, he was convicted of rape. That was here. Yes, I had no idea. Yeah, Mike Tyson in the eighth floor of the Canterbury Hotel, which is now the La Meridian, was accused in 1992 during Black Expo for the Miss Black America pageant. Desiree Washington was the Miss Rhode Island in the pageant, and she met Mike Tyson at the pageant, and he later invited her back to his hotel room at the Canterbury, where she accused him after the fact of rape, and he was tried. And Greg Garrison, who worked at WIBC, was the prosecutor was the prosecuting attorney that that got him convicted and he was tried and convicted in india in indianapolis and was sentenced to prison in plainfield and served in the plainfield correctional facility do you know that okay. i didn't realize it was in indianapolis i i, I knew I, right he faced trial, jail time but... i don't know if you know this or not but john kennedy had a bad weekend in dallas yeah once he, too. He, yeah well um, he, he didn't yes, like it there. Yes. But. So Tyson was convicted of oh that. Oh, my goodness. And during the- What during, year was that? Sorry. Uh, 90, well, 92 was when the, alleg- the well, not the allegation. I mean, the you know, he was convicted. So 92 was when the crime was committed, and I believe it was 93 by the time he was late 92 or early 93 when he was huh. um, charged. And then, if you recall, so during this ties into the Pacers, who played tonight, by the way, against the Boston Celtics, during the Pacers-Knicks playoff series in 94 – when Reggie Miller and Spike Lee had their you know their their battles and then it actually in 95 so in 95 then uh, one of those playoff series Reggie Miller and Spike Lee had a wager and the wager was if the Pacers were to win Spike Lee had to cast Reggie Miller's then wife in his next film and if the Knicks won Reggie Miller had to go and visit for Spike Lee, visit Mike Tyson in prison. That was the wager between the two. Um, but Tyson, so Tyson w- was convicted, um, and his jury, during his trial, his jury was sequestered in the Indianapolis Athletic Club, hmm. and which at that time had hotel rooms. I don't think it still does. And a fire broke out that fatally injured one, if not two, IFD fighters, uh, firefighters, And there was always speculation, while never proven, that the fire that took place in the athletic club was because of the fact that Tyson's jury was sequestered and staying in the athletic club. Hmm. But that was never proven. 
Never knew the details. There you go. That's you learn remarkable. Some, learn something every day, right? Uh, truly. Um, speaking of, by the way, yesterday and the Colts and the Titans and some of the impact on the Colts' win yesterday, we do have breaking news. Uh, a Marion County jury. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the breaking news, Brendan, is? <laughs> the Tennessee Titans have fired special teams coordinator Craig Aukerman, as our own Kevin Bowen tweets. Colts special teams coordinator Brian Mason, quote, got a dude fired per KB. By the way, uh, somebody said it might have been Pendleton where Tyson was. I thought it was Plainfield, but um, let me see which place. So it was not a good special teams day for Tennessee, but at the same time, you know, the the part of it too comes down to, first off, on one of those, in this one, one of Tony Brown's blocks. I mean, it was like, were they even aware that he was lined up? You know, I mean, in that case, it was like, what in the world are they doing? Well, the one late, and I realize it was ruled a fumble, but Tony Brown was lining up on the near side, and the Tennessee guy, when Brown went in motion, the Tennessee guy was waving to his line. Nobody noticed, and then here comes Brown to, you know, go after the Tennessee punter who unfortunately got injured because of it. That was an ugly-looking injury. But yeah, I mean, the only guy that was aware was the Titans guy lined up on the near side and nobody else was listening to him. The the missed field goal, you can't totally, you know, part of that is you, you've got Tannehill holding, who, who, when was the last time he was a holder? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, because, you know, they're, the punter who got hurt is normally the holder. And I will give them credit on the broadcast when... You know, they said, uh-oh, this is like, by the way, Plainfield Correctional Facility for Tyson at the Indiana Youth Center is where he was originally assigned in April of 90, April of 92. He was released in March of 95. When, when they had the punter go down and they were going for the extra point that seemingly would have won the game, it's 25 all at that point, the extra point makes 26-25. And on the broadcast, they said, they're like, hey, listen, like you got a different holder in there. Things can change immediately. And lo and behold, maybe it's – I said this earlier. Maybe it's power of suggestion, Brendan, but it felt to me like as soon as he missed that kick, I thought, wait a minute, lace is out. And it didn't look like Tannehill totally spun the ball and to get the laces directly out. And I have no idea. Everything else looked, I thought, pretty routine in that extra point. But kicking is so – I don't know hill of beans about kicking in the NFL. But I do know this. In 1995 or six, I don't remember the year, but I've told this story before once on the air. But I sent in a Kit Kat wrapper. Okay. You like Kit Kats? Best candy. You really? Yeah. Do you do you Favorite. which way do you eat them? Oh, I break them and Okay, so you break individual bar off or do you go from the top in half? Break individual bar okay. and then Okay. So I was eating a Kit Kat bar when I was working a Hardwick's pipe and tobacco and on it it said win a trip to kick the million dollar field goal at the Pro Bowl. <laughs> I told you this, right? Yeah. So I sent in my Kit Kat bar, and I got, and I was one of the four finalists. To let go, me actually go to Honolulu. Let, let me step in. This is one of my favorite stories because this was the story when we first worked together. It was your tryout show for the morning show, 
That was the first show we ever did together, and this was the first story you ever told. I was well, like, I gonna, save it this for the big awesome. moments, Brennan. This is going to be awesome. That's right. So, at any rate, I got selected, and so they called me and said, we picked your candy bar wrapper out of however many thousand, and you're one of the four finalists. So the point to the story is I had one week to learn how to kick. You know, you played backyard football growing up. Play with your buddies. You play Nerf football, right? You got like three on three or whatever, and you do like the every four downs. We would have like you know you you, you drop back, and the defender the defender has to count to like five Mississippi, and then can rush the passer, or you can blitz. You yell out blitz, and you don't have to count, and then all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh, but you can only blitz one of every four downs. Well, when you would score, very seldomly did I don't know about you, but with my group of buddies, very seldomly did we ever kick the extra point. It was always just seven. No, never. Yeah. You scored and it was seven. Now, Josh Simrau's backyard had a pretty good like little bush line that, that made for a nice goalpost, and if we played there, we would kick for the extra point. But but when I was learning how to kick field goals, because I had to have a crash course in it because of this million-dollar field goal competition from Hershey's, the one thing that I did learn was it really does come down to like rhythm. You, you know, you take your two steps back and your one step over, and then you – you would you would look you would visualize where your feet go as you are moving into the kick so that you can get your foot properly on it now in no way shape or form does that translate to the national football league and the pressures of kicking an extra point or a game-winning field goal but if any of that rhythm changes or is interrupted it does throw you off a little bit and, and so it, it, that's entirely possible of just it looked like a good snap and a good hold, but it's different than the routine. It's different than what you were anticipating from one play to the next. Maybe that was the reason that he missed the extra point. But overall, though, I, I mean, yeah, it was a bad special teams day for Tennessee or a good one from the Colts, depending on which vantage point you're looking at. But, you know, to get a guy fired for it? Do do you put that? Do they hang a banner for that? Got guy fired? <laughs> Probably. If you go to it, Lucas Oil Stadium, do they, they have that banner? They're, they're going to get him a plaque for his office. <laughs> I mean, got the Titans special teams coordinator fired. Uh, th- are you going to be the next participant on McAfee's uh, kicking challenge on game day? Then unlikely, because my kicking prowess is is done. I have my moment in the sun. I have my I mean, chance. I have my like, chance. It's like riding a bike. It's not, I'll tell you that much. Herb Street can hold for you. So here's the thing. I mean, I told you. I had to kick. I'm pretty proud of this, though. In one week, I learned in one week, I went from never having kicked before in my life. You had to kick. We went down to Miami, and you had to kick a 10-yarder, a 20-yarder, and a 30-yarder. So from the goal line, the 10-yard line, and the 20-yard line. The hardest of those three kicks was from the goal, was the 10-yarder. Because yeah. you have to elevate the football so quickly, and it's really hard to do from that close. Um, but I hit the 10-yarder. I hit the 20-yarder, and I was wide, I think, left on the 30-yarder. And the guy that ended up winning of the four of us, the guy that won the competition, I went third of four, and I was the only to hit two instead of one. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Honolulu. All all I got to do is wait this last guy. If this last guy misses two of these kicks, I'm on my way to Hawaii, right? And the last guy gets up there, Dennis Moneylex Crawford of Tennessee, he got up there and he hit the 10-yarder and the 20-yarder and he hit the 30-yarder with like 30 yards. I mean, it was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. He went to Honolulu and he, I think it was a 40-yarder that you had to hit for the million dollars and he hit it. But like, I remember Al Michaels saying like he'd have hit that from 60. 
And then they See, found out he was an All-American kicker in college. But j- Just like actual sports, it's nice to lose to the champ, right? That's right. It, you, know, you go out feeling like you did But that's my, that's my moment in the sun with kicking, so that would be the end of my... I mean, okay. you got to know you got to know your limits, right? You got to know when to say when. And so I, <laughs> I'm, I had, I'm glad you learned your way. I had my one shot, right? It didn't work out. Okay, so be it, right? <laughs> um, I, I thought yesterday a lot of people criticized Brennan J- Gardner Minshew. Um, I mentioned earlier in the show this is the first time in his career that he's thrown for 300 yards in a win. There were a lot of superlatives yesterday. As a matter of fact, Stephen Holder, our friend who joins us each and every week, um, from ESPN had the following yesterday, which I thought was it was informative and interesting, quite frankly, uh, which is what I hope for this program. There were a lot of superlatives yesterday, or first, if you will. Um, that was the first time in, what, since 2015 that the Colts had two 100-yard receivers in the same game? Hmm. The last time it happened, as I mentioned earlier, was Kobe Fleener and, as well, Michael Pittman. I thought Pittman was outstanding. I thought that... Uh, enabled and facilitated for Alec Pierce to get going that that play to Pierce that essentially won it for the Colts because in the overtime they get down there and that that 55 yard I think it was reception that put them in basically in first and goal was outstanding because I I think that I am guilty of this matter of fact I know I'm guilty of this I'm guilty of selling Alec Pierce short and feeling like he has not been giving them what they need when in reality Alec Pierce is a player that can get behind defenses and is a big reception guy but you need protection of the quarterback and a big arm for the quarterback to be able to facilitate that and I don't know necessarily at no knock on either side of that that they've done that so far this year but Anthony Richardson seemingly is more that guy and Anthony Richardson also is probably more of a creator of the plays broken down I've gone through my reads and now all of a sudden I've got to facilitate by extending in the pocket moving around and waiting for somebody to get open, and Pierce can maybe do that by then dropping behind defenses. And I don't know that Minshew has the the maneuverability or the arm strength to be able to to improvise with that. But Richardson seemingly does, and so that's why you keep Pierce out there and you build up next year for that. Uh, this from Stephen Holder. The Colts have now won two overtime games in the same season for the first time since 1995. Uh, Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, I mentioned that, the first pair of Colt receivers with 100 yards receiving in the same game. Pittman became the first Colt wide receiver to record 10 receptions and a game-winning touchdown in overtime. The Colts became the first team with a blocked punt touchdown return in the NFL this year, and they are 4-0 against the spread this season when entering as favorites. Hmm. That last that one, last big one. for Jimmy and Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not the better that they are, but... That's still an interesting point. But, you know, a couple of years ago, well, it was more than a couple, I mean, a a decade ago, if you think about Andrew Luck's first year in the league, when Andrew Luck first came in the league and the Colts made the surprising playoff run, it was a tremendous season in in many ways. I mean, there were obviously some detriments to it, and there was some some real challenge to it, and you had a lot, you know, away from the field that were difficult to deal with. But but in terms of football, they had a great year. But the one thing that I remember about that year is that like everything fell into place for them. 
matchups fell into place, key key injuries or key things that happened with each and every game. Like they caught every break. And Brendan, if you look right now at the schedule remaining, they're already starting to again catch breaks. I thought Levis yesterday looked pretty good. Yeah. I, but now you go against Cincinnati, and we know no Joe Burrow. Totally different team, right? The playoff committee would not even allow them to take the field because they're just <laughs> not the same team without their quarterback. Um, then you get along the way, you're going to have Pittsburgh on the 16th. They may not have Kenny Pickett. And we talked the last time I was in here. Besides C.J. Stroud, Pickett's probably the best QB you're going to see if he's even there. Right. Right? So. I mean, things just seem to be – and then you look around, and I know that I'm I'm a broken record here when I say this, but do, do we need to update that figure of speech, broken record? Because nobody listens to records. Do we need to now say, uh, I sound like I'm just buffering? Is that is that more appropriate to say? You what, could start. You could be the first. What would happen if you're listening to music on your phone or like you, you know an iPod? What what would cause it to to, to just repeat? No do, Wi-Fi. Do you, do you I, just say I like, don't have any Wi-Fi right now? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. The, the Wi-Fi dropped. I mean, I know I sound like the Wi-Fi dropped. I would say I, maybe I lagged out for a moment. Oh, that's glitched. a good one. That's glitched. a video game that's thing. A good but one. Okay. Would, what what about? Uh, what about just I, I accidentally hit the repeat button? Because do you ever do that when you or you actually hit the shuffle button? You're like, what just happened? Yeah. How did I just go from Super Tramp to Snoop Dogg? Oh, I hit the shuffle button. Okay, cool. But so I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but if you look at the teams around the Colts, it feels like they're the only one. If you realistically look at the AFC standings, okay, and you and you look at so Miami. Gonna win their division, right? Baltimore, gonna win their division. Jacksonville, probably gonna win their division. And Kansas City, almost by default, gonna win their division because they're backpedaling. Then you get into that thick of teams that are all sitting there in a traffic jam trying to get into the right lane for a wild card. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Houston, and then right behind them, Denver and Buffalo, with Cincinnati fading quickly. Mm. The Colts have the highest trajectory right now, or the trajectory going upward, of any of those teams. Pittsburgh. Question about the health of their quarterback. I'd have to look at the remaining schedule. but, But Pittsburgh also kind of playing with fire to begin with. Cleveland, defense carrying them. Joe Flacco coming in, taking over at quarterback, playing sufficiently, but yesterday giving up over 35 points. And defense is supposed to be what's keeping them around. Houston, also good trajectory, actually, but still has remaining to play the Colts. So the Colts control that. Denver, probably... Also in the same path that it feels like they're ticking upward, but you know Denver at six and six. I mean, they had to win what four or five straight just to get in the conversation. And then Buffalo, who you feel for because 
fans in Buffalo literally probably thought Buffalo was the AFC favorite or one of the two or three coming in has not played well. Josh Allen seemed to have gotten like his confidence rattled. And then their schedule remaining is brutal. And after that, it's all the imposters. The Bengals, the Chargers, the Raiders, and oh, shock, no Aaron Rodgers for the Jets. What a surprise. He got six weeks worth of national conversation and people paying attention to him and then said, yeah, you know what, I'm good. What a stunner. All right, so Pittsburgh's remaining schedule. They plan Thursday night against New England this week. Okay, there's a win. Pray, pray for Al Michaels. Yeah, no kidding. He is getting host with his games. All right, and then obviously here, the 16th. December 23rd, hosting Cincinnati. Okay, pretty good favorable for them there too, right? Yep, but here's where you run into trouble. Your last two, you got to play on the road on New Year's Eve at Seattle. Tough travel. Then January 7th at Baltimore, Week 18. And that the, the thing they have to hope about that Baltimore game is that Baltimore has locked a seed and can't move, yep. right? And rest people. Now, remaining schedule for the Houston Texans. This week, at the Jets... Probably a win, it's, right? Well, for them, it's got to be a win. But Tank Dell's hurt. That's key. At the Titans. That's got to be a win. Home against the Browns. Well, you talked about them to lead off the show. If their defense shows up, they're not a bad team. Home against the Titans. <laughs> so you're saying you got to beat the Titans two out of three weeks. And then finishing with the Colts. Wow. That game, I'm telling you, that New Year's Eve game between the Colts and the Titans... That could be big, right? You mean Texans, Titans? Or, or, I mean, yeah. Excuse me, the, the the Texans and the Colts, I mean. Uh, right, yeah. Texans at, sorry, the Texans at Colts on New Year's Eve. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, on January 7th, right. excuse me. Um, that, that that could come, to, that could be the tiebreak game. That's right? going to be I mean, fun. Right. Uh, it, was it last year's, that Lovey Smith? Yes. The Lovey Smith game? Yeah. Uh, talk about the difference of disparity of a year, of the importance of that game. Jeff Saturday versus Lovey Smith, and now potentially for a wild card. And what's fascinating about that last year? So take me through what happened last year with Lovey Smith, right? Well, yeah, I mean it was the it was the fourth quarter, and you know Lovey marches down the field and pulls it off. And so that slides them from drafting where to where. Well, from they went to two. I forgot what they were originally at. They fell, right? Yeah, they fell. The, okay, yeah, they, they would have fell, fell one yeah. to two, right? Yeah, right. Because my, my point being, no, they fell to three, right? They was drafted it, third. Was it Stroud two? Well, he was the. Or did they move up? No, you had. We probably should have looked this up beforehand, right? Uh, obviously, Bryce Young went first, right? right. And then, but Stroud went. I thought third overall. Did he not? No, he went two. Will Anderson went third. To, they okay, had back-to-back -back picks. They went Stroud, then Anderson. That's right. Yeah. Because because there are some that thought that had they – my point being, there are those that think that if if Houston would have put themselves in position to draft higher, they might have been tempted to go with Young and not go with Stroud. Right. But obviously they – at least by now, it appears as though it worked out well for them because C.J. Stroud is flat out a player. And, you know, Bryce Young yesterday, I, I watched a little of Carolina – and he did have moments. I, I, I think it's – you're just in a really tough situation for Bryce Young. Yeah. He did have moments yesterday where I thought he looked pretty – like he was getting more comfortable. He led them on on a drive that late in the game 
he threw a costly pick, I think, late. But that's just hard to to judge a guy on what he does with Carolina because, I mean, come on, right? Fired coach, uh, barely mean, anything around him. I mean, his what's his number for an owner? What, I mean, what's his number one receiving option? Adam Thielen. Yeah, I mean, they've got. He's in a he's in a really really tough spot. No O line. Uh, weekend began with Purdue as the number one team in the country. Now in in an interesting factoid, Purdue has now lost in a calendar year in 2023. Purdue has lost four games while ranked number one. That is the highest number in a calendar year for any team in college basketball history. Upside of that is, in order to be even in that discussion, you've got to be ranked number one. The Boilers fell to Northwestern. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. New college basketball rankings are out. Burning King, would you like me to go with the AP poll or the coaches poll? Let's hear the AP. The number one team in the land, the Arizona Wildcats, followed by Kansas, Houston, and then the Purdue Boilermakers, fourth. Connecticut fifth, followed by Baylor, Gonzaga, Marquette, North Carolina, and Creighton is ranked 10th. Uh, coaches poll is the same through the top six, but it is uh, Marquette that is uh, seven as opposed to Gonzaga. Gonzaga falls eighth in the coaches poll. Joining us now on the program, he was on the call for Purdue's first loss of the season at Northwestern, talking about Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers that joins us. Rob... I'm going to be as sunny as the day is outside right now by saying this, and I want your thought on it. I, I watched that game, and yes, the turnovers for Purdue were critical down the stretch, and they got to take better care of the basketball. But I also saw that game with Northwestern as one of those that I'm like, you know what? At Northwestern just hit some really tough contested shots down the stretch. It was a heck of a lot of fun to watch if you had no rooting interest in the game. And I just kind of chalked that game up to Purdue as – Hey, that's one of those you just kind of take your lumps on it because I thought Northwestern played really well and made big shots. Yes, the turnovers were an issue. Yes, there were some untimely free throws. But I give a lot of credit to Northwestern. What say you? Well, let me tell you what our coaches are saying because I just I just taped the pregame interview for the broadcast later tonight with Coach Painter. And I've also just spent the last couple minutes here with a couple of our assistants. And uh, there is no one on that Purdue coaching staff happy with Purdue's defense on Friday night. (laughs) Yes, the turnovers are a concern. Yes, some timely missed free throws. Yes, some poor three-point shooting. But the fact that – and I didn't even – I got to be honest, I didn't realize this. Our coaches brought it up to me here at shoot-around. The three guards for Northwestern combined for 70 points Friday night. Their average, those three guys coming in, was like around 36. So they basically doubled up their per-game average with those three guys. Uh, and, yes, were there some tough shots to hit? Yes, Boo Booey is a tough shot maker. But, I mean, those other guys have not been playing at a high level, quite frankly. Ty Berry, good player, no doubt about it. Uh, 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 Starberg, uh, good player. But, I mean, sorry for the horn in the background, as you can tell in the shoot-around. Um but you, there's no way you can let those guys go off in you like they did. And so that's where the real point of, of contention is with this coaching staff is this team has to get better defensively. You can't, you cannot go on the road and win in the Big Ten if you can't guard any better than that. And, look, you gave up 92 points. I know it was a 45-minute game, but still, you gave up 92 points. You, if you score 88, think about this, and Matt Painter brought this up to me, and it really made sense to me. You, you score 88 points. Uh, Zach Eady has 35 points, 14 rebounds. 
you go to the line 40 times and you out-rebound them by 25 rebounds and you lose, I mean, that's hard to do. <laughs> it's really, that's really hard to do. You, you have to help the other team immensely. You have to help the other team immensely to beat you. And that's what Purdue did. They helped them with the turnovers, and they helped them by, by not guarding uh, worth a darn in the half court on Friday night. And Rob, obviously, as people could hear there, and as you'd mentioned, you know, they got to get back on the horse quickly because it's Iowa tonight, 7 o'clock tip. Uh, does anything schematically or lineup-wise change at all when you talk about Matt Painter's displeasure with the defense? I don't think lineup-wise. Uh, I do think uh, – maybe from a schematic standpoint, and this probably isn't as much schematics as uh, if you're a guy that gets an early opportunity tonight and you are not giving supreme effort on the defensive end, you probably will not get back into the game. <laughs> I have gotten that uh, I've gotten that feeling here from just hanging around here for the last 30 minutes or so. Uh, if you are not a guy that is giving absolute supreme effort on the defensive end, you probably aren't going to play a whole lot of minutes tonight. There is a real – and look, there should be a real uh, high-level uh, of, uh, of uh, interest with what you're going to do defensively because you're about to play the eighth highest scoring team in the country. I mean, Iowa, <laughs> Iowa's not great defensively themselves. They'll be the first to tell you that. But they have no problem scoring the ball. They, they average 91 points a game. That's, that's eighth best in the country. So if you're coming off a game like Purdue is Friday night where you weren't very good defensively, and all of a sudden you've got to try to, you know, hey, we're going to try to really make an, a marked improvement on defense in this game. Well, yeah, this would be the game to do it because if you are poor defensively tonight, you might get run out of the building because Iowa is good enough offensively to do that to you. Hey, Rob, it's Brendan. I, I want to take you back to Friday night. I was watching the game doing Indiana Sports Talk updates, and just to get the game to OT and the play that, that sent the game to extra time, Mason Gillis, the touchdown pass to Zach Eady at the basket. I know Eady, of course, is a big target, but, man, that pass by Gillis was just so impressive, and he's done a little bit of everything for this team. So how have you seen him continuously improving even into this year? Yeah, it's been fun. You know, he's a redshirt senior. This is it for him. Uh, he took that redshirt year coming out of Newcastle because for those that maybe follow high school basketball closely or follow Purdue basketball, you remember he, he missed basically his whole senior year of high school because of a torn ACL uh, and then came to Purdue and just wasn't quite wasn't quite right health-wise. So he took an extra year. So he, quite frankly, had two full years of not even seeing competitive action. Uh, and now to see where he's at as a redshirt senior. And, you know, BK, kind of what you're talking about, doing a little bit of everything. I mean, He's averaging four and a half points a game. He's averaging four rebounds a game. He, he shoots 50% from three, which is an incredible number, but it only takes about one a game, right? He's a, he's a selective three-point shooter. He understands his role. He's a 78% free throw shooter. He just, he just does just does a little bit of everything for you. Um, not, uh, not a guy that uh, was going to lie in big-time stats, although he did have the huge game at uh, Mackey Arena last year against Penn State where he had 29 in that game. But, yeah, he just does a little bit of everything. I, it's been fun to watch him accept his role coming off the bench this year as a redshirt senior. He's a guy that had been in the starting lineup on a pretty regular basis the last two years, and now he comes off the bench and has accepted the role and has done a great job with it. So, But I think the one thing, DK, I like the most about him is his ability to offensive rebound. He just, For whatever reason, it feels like every game he comes up with one or two offensive rebounds when Purdue absolutely has to have it. And that's... Uh, that's been a big, you know, he was a big part of that game Friday night, helping extend that game to overtime with a couple big offensive rebounds late in the game. So, yeah, it's been really fun to watch his uh, maturation process. And, again, for a guy that had to go essentially two full years without playing one minute of competitive basketball, it's a, it's been a really sweet reward for him here in his redshirt senior season. Late in games, 
Rob. Rob Blackman is our guest, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. Zach Eady is obviously an incredible player, and they made and drew up a an incredible play to force overtime against Northwestern. But late in games, are there times where Purdue are becomes too reliant on getting him the ball, even when the lane is not open to get it there? I don't know if too reliant is the word, Jake, other uh, or is the phrase, but maybe I would say once the ball gets into Zach, the other four guys standing around and watching him try to, you know, save the game or win the game for you. That's probably the one thing I think it's probably least certainly against Northwestern on Friday night. You know, that ball goes inside, and basically Northwestern does what every other team would do late in the game. They run four guys at him. Yeah, the only problem with that from a Purdue standpoint, our four guys just kind of standing around watching Zach hope he'll make the play when, you know, someone should be diving to the basket. Someone should be getting ball side corner for an open three. Someone should be getting opposite wing for an open three. Uh, and it is not happening. Um, the whole idea of throwing it into Zach, obviously, is to open up maybe some other players to, to have a chance at an open shot because you know a double or triple team is coming. Early in the game and in games this year, we have seen that a bunch where the ball's gone into Zach, who is a, who is a willing passer. I think folks forget what a, he is a willing passer. Uh, but you got to give him, you got to give him a target. You have to be open so he can throw it to you. Uh, and that's what I think disappointed again the coaching staff the most towards the end of the game offensively. We were able to get the ball inside for the most part, but once it got in there, it just kind of be, it became a thing of well, Zach has it, you know. We'll just stand around and watch him try to win the game for us. When if we just if this team just would have stayed active offensively with the other four guys, probably could have gotten a high-quality shot, and maybe you don't end up going to overtime, and maybe you find a, win that game and find a way to win that game in regulation. Rob, Purdue has depth. I mean, we know that. Are we going to see – you hinted about this a little bit maybe, but has Matt Painter at times been too – I'll say stubborn for lack of a better phrase, but he does have – depth or versatility to make replacements if someone is defensively lacking where have the defensive breakdowns been and as Matt Painter was he was he too slow maybe in making the adjustment and getting somebody else in well I'll start with that first question the 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 actual defensive breakdowns were not so much on the guy guarding the ball but what was happening away from the ball uh and I was fortunate enough I sat in with film earlier today before they came out to shoot and that's what they were talking the most about you know the guy on the ball yes maybe it wasn't perfect all the time but at least there was some effort there what's happening is and this has been a mostly a guard related problem what's happened the guy guarding you know his man away from the ball is not in a good defensive stance they haven't jumped to the ball uh, so when the guy cuts that they're guarding, you know, they're standing there flat-footed, and now they're trailing the play, and now they're giving up a, a three or a layup or a dunk because they just weren't down and ready when the ball was – when their guy didn't have the ball. Uh, so that's the real point of emphasis. And I think that's what you'll be – you know, if I'm a fan, which I am, by the way, uh, I would be looking for that tonight. Uh, don't necessarily watch the guy guarding the ball when it comes to Purdue, but watch what's happening away from the ball. Uh, and if that guy is in a defensive stance, if he's alert to where the ball is, if he's paying attention to his man, so he doesn't just get back cut for an easy layup because he's not, you know, he's not paying attention. If you see that happening a bunch, then you're going to see that guy coming out of the game. Now, on the rotation standpoint, you're talking about there and depth, Jake. 
Uh, Matt has jokingly said many times before, you know, I normally start the season thinking I'm going to have a 10-man rotation, and by the start of Big Ten season, I'm down to nine, and by the time the NCAA tournament, I'm down to eight or seven and a half. (laughs) I don't know if he has a a valid reasoning for that, other than he says that's just kind of how it's always been in his career. Um, For the for the most part right now, I think Purdue is Purdue's playing nine, really. Miles um, Colvin only played three and a half minutes in that game Friday night. I think he'll get some more run today. Um, but, look, uh, I can't emphasize this enough. If if you're watching the game tonight and you see a Purdue guy not getting it done on the defensive end, he's probably going to have a pretty quick hook because this coaching staff he is not pleased with what they're seeing defensively right now. Rob, Eddie White is insisting that I ask you who the best girls' soccer team in the state is. <laughs> Brebuff Jesuit. Come on, that's an easy one, Eddie White. Everyone knows that. Hey, Rob, tell me what you know about Iowa, who's going to be facing Purdue tonight. You know, interesting, Jake. Their best player is Ben Cricky, the Valpo transfer. Um, so they're getting a ton of help from a, you know, from a mid-major transfer. Cricky was good last year at Valpo. I mean, his first team on Missouri Valley, but... He's averaging 18 and a half uh, for Iowa, leading them in scoring. So, uh, but the the two guys, and this is going back to the Big Ten tournament championship game two years ago in Indianapolis. Two guys that Purdue has always always struggled with when they played Iowa the last two, two and a half years have been Tony Perkins, uh, who's the Lawrence North kid. He's a senior now, uh, and Peyton Sanford, who's uh, the real good shooter, six seven shooter. He's a junior uh, who had a big time game against Purdue in that Big Ten championship game two years ago. So. Those are three names right there, but as far as guys that have traditionally killed Purdue in the last couple of years, Sanford and Perkins, those have been the two guys that have really been a thorn in Purdue's side. I know this about Ben Cricky. He's not related to Don, different spelling, and he's a native of Edmonton where I spent a year one weekend. I know that a much. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge. Yep, you're right. He's a Canadian, correct, and uh, uh, he is, uh, yeah, he's their best, at least offensively, uh, he's been their best player, so he, that's, that's a pretty good find in the transfer portal there for Iowa. Rob, have a good call tonight. Always appreciate the time. Okay, Jake, BK, thank you. All right, Purdue and Iowa tonight at 7 o'clock. By the way, during our conversation with Rob, breaking news. Brendan? Has there ever been two breaking news sounders in an hour? Uh, Yeah, I think on the days of like, on free agency days, (laughs) probably, right? Free agent linebacker and former Colt Shaquille Leonard is signing with the Philadelphia Eagles. Be curious to see, and good for him, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to see, does it say the terms of the deal? Let's see. Because, you know, the length of the deal, I would assume, is just for the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. I think that that takes a little bit of financial heat off of the Colts. One-year part deal. Of, part of why he was released early, I would assume. Um, and why not take a flyer on it? But again, with Shaq Leonard, part of what makes Shaq Leonard so special is of course just overall, you know, his Shaq Leonard is a guy, and this is I say this as a credit to him, not a demerit, but he's an instinct player. He played on instinct, as opposed to necessarily like angles and scheme and things like that. And once the back, and you know, obviously the ankle, but then ultimately the back prohibited him the extra burst and speed to be able to instinctively make up for times where he might have schematically been out of position than he was a, li- a liability at linebacker. And Philadelphia, whether they have a scheme that, that is able to cater towards what he does or or w- where he needs assistance 
or whether or not they're hoping that he finds and they have the time to wait to see if he has that burst that the Colts couldn't wait for any longer. Um, look, a good guy in the community, a good player, and I know a fan favorite. So certainly wish him well in the city of brotherly love. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. John is at Twin Peaks, by the way, for his show today. So stop by, have, I'm telling you what, beer so cold that you can see small chunks of ice in it. That is the truth, man. I'm telling you what, if you like cold beer, Twin Peaks is the place for you. It's served over ice balls, even. Really? Yeah, did you know we have a celebrity, <laughs> yeah. Jake, in the, the studio? Vo- the voice of Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, some of them. The, v- when I'm able the voice to. of Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Look at that. Look at that. It's as if I'm here in the, we're in the break right now. Uh, John will be there, and again, as you just heard him talking about, he will be previewing, amongst other things, talking about yesterday's game, I'm sure, but the Colts, or <laughs> the Pacers and Celtics tonight at the Fieldhouse. 7.30 tip, that is the play-in tournament semifinal. No Porzingis for Boston, by the way. Uh, Halliburton, I think, is expected to go, so we'll see how that affects things. And then the winner going to Las Vegas – and the loser, I believe, playing. Uh, when I get a little confused by the in-season tournament, but uh, I still I don't the get Pacers it, so. go on the road if they if they do not win tonight. That's to my understanding. But a big one. Uh, so you got that with the Boston Celtics tonight at the Fieldhouse, and then as we mentioned, you have Purdue and Iowa at seven o'clock today. Uh, Brendan, you have what going on for the rest of the day today? And thank you for filling in for Jimmy. Happy to. No, not a whole lot the rest of the day, but uh, going to get to work at a. College Hoops broadcast this weekend, so I get to work on some prep. And You're doing the trees, right? Doing the trees on Saturday afternoon. So let people know where they can see that. Saturday it is Southern Indiana and Indiana State, right? Yep, in Terre Haute at the Holman Center. It'll be the uh, television broadcast, which is streamable. If you got an ESPN Plus account, you can tune in. I have not seen uh, – how's Stan Gerard doing down at Southern Indiana? Yeah, it, they've had a weird start to the season, Jake. They're 2-7, and seven, but they led Duke at halftime in Durham, and they've been in nearly every game. They just haven't been able to finish. I'll tell you, I think Indiana State, um, you know, I didn't know a lot about their coach when he was hired a couple of years ago, but I think they are well coached. That man. guy can coach. I mean, yeah. John will tell you, you know, same thing. I mean, he is not only a great coach, but he's kind schematically. He draws up some great stuff, and he's been able to recruit. I mean, Indiana State's center uh, was the number six player in all Illinois. Yeah, so that is that game is when that you're doing that? Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon. All right, for Southern Indiana and for Indiana State. All right, so my understanding is Jimmy is back tomorrow, right? That's to my He's understanding. Made it back from Lambeau, is that right? Yeah. Now, well, Kyler, are you with us tomorrow as well? I am not. Eddie's got nine Boo-hoo. weeks of vacation he's using apparently at the end of the year, right? <laughs> Just about. <laughs> I believe Carl Showbiz will be with us tomorrow. John yeah. is up next from Twin Peaks. Stop by, have a cold one, or listen, if you can't make it over, we'll talk to you at noon tomorrow.